Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Alright, good afternoon all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Monday, November 30th, 2015. It's about seven minutes after noon Pacific time. If that is all true where you're at, given the time differential wherever you might live, we are live, and that means you can participate in the show, which means you can call in 800-932-1980, 800-932-1980. You can also join us all in the chat room by going to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, and uh, you'll see the chat link and you'll get in there. Now, if you want to bypass that, you can just go to chat.americanvoiceradio.com. That's not really new. I just didn't mention it much, but it doesn't matter. You can go straight there. Uh, we have players there where you can listen to the uh, show from there. So if you want to skip the main page, you can and go straight to chat. Anyhow, let's see here. I'm... Uh, Still trying to arrange a little bit with my uh, my mic. It's a new, it's a kind of a new setup here for me, and something doesn't seem to be working right now. Let's check the chat. It was, it was just working right, but now, now it's not. Check this here and see. All right, let's see here. Nope, doesn't seem to be working out very well. I don't know what's wrong here, but. We'll figure it out eventually, and uh, we'll get this working here. Oh, okay, let's... Yeah, you know, the bad thing is there's really no way for me to fix this before I actually go on the air, so, you know, it's uh, one of those things that I'm getting tired of, too, and I'm sure you are also. But we'll see. I think I might have it. Okay, well, somebody in the chat room likes the sound, so that's good. I, I I can't really tell at this point whether it's any good or any bad, but we'll just continue on. At least one person out there thinks it sounds good, so that's good enough, huh? And again, easy, get in the chat room. You can help me out. You can let me, uh, let me know how the sound is, and I can do what I can to, uh, you know, fix it. What happened was my power supply for my mic went went bad. It burned out in my uh in my mixing board, so I'm having to use a a separate phantom supply, which is a little different kind of setup for me, but uh there you go. Good deal. We will just continue on then. All right, anyway, so uh, you can also contact me through Yahoo Instant Messenger, which is, again, working. I don't know what happened to that. That was, uh, I could type. I could see other people were trying to message me. But I couldn't see anything I typed, and I couldn't see anything anybody else typed. But apparently, just a simple full system reboot was enough to, uh, you know, 
fix it. So anyway, AVRN Talk is the screen name on that, and you can get in touch with me. Now, if you want other information on how to contact me and all that, uh, it's on the main page, so you'll want to go there. And I am still working. Well, I haven't been working. It's been sitting, but it's been sitting here waiting to be worked on. Uh, a new, a new, a new website basically that is mobile device friendly. Uh, it's coming out pretty good. It certainly looks a lot different and it operates a lot different but it does look good and work on mobile devices and also on regular devices okay i mean i'm not real thrilled with the with the design of it but bottom line folks you just can't have everything do everything okay you've got to make sacrifices for if you want something to work uh well, yeah, see, see, now we're just, okay, let, here's the thing, folks. Uh, I like the descriptions of what the sound is like, because it really tells me a lot. Like, I had one person that said, sound is crisp, very good in my opinion. Somebody else said, well, sounds okay, but you kind of sound thin. See, that's the difference. Well, thin and crisp can be, you know, taken as the same thing, but, and they probably are the same thing. It's just some people like a deep, rich sound. Other people like a crisp, you know, uh, no, no, uh, you know, just more, I don't know how to explain it. I, I found it, you know, if I'm trying to really listen to somebody, I like it crisp also because I can just hear it better. But if I'm listening for my pleasure, I like it, you know, uh, a little less crisp. So, I don't know. You know, so there you go. It's just a personal preference and uh hey, you know what? You can adjust your sound if you want more uh if you want more bass in it, you can just put more bass in it. As long as it's understandable and it's not all crapped up and doesn't work and, you know, staticky and you can't really make it out and all that, I'm, uh, I'm pretty satisfied with it if that if that is the case. So, anyway, we'll work on it more and more. And, uh, hey, at least you can hear it. Okay, so there's a, there is at least that. And I'm not having to do some crazy Skype setup, which, you know, I'm glad it worked, but, uh, <laughs> anyhow... Let's get on to things and stuff. Because, of course, you know, we had many days off. I don't think I've had... I I don't think I've had this many days off in a row since AVR started, to tell you the truth. Well, that's not true. That's not true. I did take two weeks off one time after my wife died. Uh, but other than that, I have never had five days off in a row. I like it. Hey, I could... You know, I could do that as a permanent job sort of thing. Five days off, two days on. Now, that's a job, see. But anyway, not likely. But, hey, it was nice, and uh, it was odd. It was different. But we're all back to it, and I'm sure you all are, too. And it's apparently the rest of the world is also. Uh, you know, they 
took a little break. Well, they didn't really take a little break. See, the thing is, I guess Thanksgiving's not a worldwide holiday. So, you know, there were still people out there figuring, hey, this is a good chance to, you know, kill some more people. Woohoo! Yeah, buddy. Uh, what I found. Oh, and by the way, yeah, I got this. And, and I don't feel bad. I just got this head cold. I've never had a head cold like this before. Now, I know a lot of you are going to say, well, that's because of the chemtrails and the radiation and the uh, whatever else, you know, because I've, you know, I haven't eaten anything different. So it's probably not a flu. Uh, it's probably not a food allergy. But there's something because I'll tell you, I have never had a head cold like this. I've had head colds, you know, in my life like everybody else has. But this. This is like, and I don't, I, I gotta say, as far as having a head cold, I don't mind this one uh, as much as I have others. Because this one, when I cough, something always comes up. Rather than that nasty dry cough that makes you feel like your throat is bleeding and about to explode. Yeah, that, I can do without that. And also, every time I, uh, you know, blow my nose, again... Lots of stuff comes out. Not a dry, nasty, hurtful, you know, sneeze. So I don't know where all this stuff keeps coming from, but uh, it does. And and that's why I sound a little stuffed up, because I am. But anyway, so one thing that I was reading this weekend, uh, well, actually, yeah, this weekend, that just, it, it's one of those things, like a pet peeve, that just really, it's not maybe all that important in the sliding scale of world destruction. But it's just enough to just, you go, what? Alright, that's it. You people need to leave the planet now. Exits are to the left and right and to the back of you now. Get out. The Republican. It's, it's being reported that the big mainstream Republican donors, which really aren't Republicans... Okay. Not just uh well the Democrats aren't really Democrats uh, according to what you consider yourself. You know, you folks out there that figure, "Hey, wait, I'm a Republican. Hey, wait a minute, I'm a Democrat." Okay, maybe you are, maybe you go by that, maybe your friends do too. But I'm nearly 100% certain that the people at the top of your party are more different than you than the neighbor down the street that says he's in the other party, whatever you're in. Honestly, really. These people are not like you. Okay? Those people are not like you. Want to know why? Top Republican donors are being reported, and of course they're rushing to deny this because they know what will happen when people find out what they're really like. They are saying that if Donald Trump gets the nomination, they may support Hitlery. Now, to me, that... Okay, fine, I know. And I don't want to minimize blasphemy. Okay, that's not my point. But, gosh, this is 
this is pretty close to, you know, as close as man can come in man's affairs to committing blasphemy. You're a Republican, and you're saying if the most popular Republican candidate who is screaming through the polls, jamming full stadiums wherever he goes, if he gets the nomination, you're going to support Hitlery? Really? Are you kidding me? Who are you? All right, there we go again with the exits off the planet with you. Like I said, you know, this isn't something that is well. Although I, I think a Hillary Clinton presidency is the end of America, the nation. It'll be war. That woman will bring civil war, revolutionary war to this country. It may come anyway, no matter who is selected. But if she's in there, I guarantee you that's the end of that. Because there will be some people who rightfully say, absolutely not, I will not obey her, I will not recognize it as President of the United States. As a matter of fact, I will do everything in my power to oppose her and the, the, the usurped government that she supposedly represents. Here's something smart. The United States would do this if they gave a damn about its people, but Russia has banned the Soros group. You know, George Soros, the foreigner who spread his money all through the United States to get his way and change policies and, and uh, you know, mold the country to what he wants. That piece of garbage, demon-possessed piece of crap. Yeah, that George Soros. Well, Russia's banned his group. Why? They say that his group is a threat to national security. Wow. A threat to national security? Well, I have to agree. I think he's right. I think Russia's right. What do you think? Do you think George Soros... Do you, I know you've heard his name. But most people, because they've never looked, it's not because it's hard to understand or anything like that. It's just people don't look. They just don't, uh, you know, they don't know. They don't look. They don't care. They got their own life going on. They've heard of George Soros, sure, but who cares? You know what? He's some billionaire, liberal, pinko, commie, you know. But thing is, this guy owns stuff that owns stuff, that owns stuff. Okay, now, what do I mean by that? Okay, so, let's just say I'm a billionaire commie pinko. Okay, committing treason and working against the country that has made me rich. So I start a corporation under some name. Let's call it Cerebrus. I'm probably not saying that right, but 
it's the dog that guards the gates of hell. So you can look it up. Severus, Severus, whatever, however you say it. And then let's just say that company buys a bunch of other companies, and they are subsidiaries, but maintain their names. Do you see how it'd be, it'd be difficult to find out, oh, uh, ABC Company owns, uh, you know, the uh, local television station. Oh, yeah, so what? Well, then you find ABC Company is owned by XYZ Company, which is owned by BAF Company, which is a subsidiary of Cerberus, which is owned by George Soros. Then you start to see the control this demon has in this country. And you may start to understand why Russia is smart enough to say, hey, you're out of here. You are a threat to national security. You're banned. Goodbye. Oh, another way of saying in my little way, get out, get off the planet. Exits are to the left and right to the rear of you. Depart the country now. We need to start saying that to a lot of people in this country, but it isn't going to happen, folks. Because here's the problem. It's your government that is the problem. Because it's not your government anymore. It can't... It, it, look, under the circum, the situations that have been set up, it's impossible for the people to be in control of this federal government. It's not possible, folks. It is not possible. And they took away the only possibility you had to control the federal government. Now, what was that? It was the Senate. They took the Senate away from the states. The states of the Union is what the people... You and me, that's what we control. That's what we were meant to control. We were meant to be citizens of our state. We were meant to keep our state under control and on the direction we want. We were meant to send two senators that represent our state, not our individual people, to tell the federal government, sorry, no, that is not in the best interest of the state of fill-in-the-blank. They took that away with the 17th Amendment. They made it a democracy. They created a vacuum. So, oh, the people are going to elect the senators. Isn't that going to be great? Popular. Wait a minute. We already had representation in the federal government by the House of Representatives, which basically has one thing. They control what gets paid for and what doesn't get paid for. And the reason why it was set up that way is because back in the day, before the Federal Reserve, money was the people's money. It was mined out of the ground by the people. It was spent into existence by the people. And not necessarily into existence into existence as money. It was dug out of the ground by people. It was melted into coins by people. And then they started to spend it and save it and build with it. But it was the people. Even banks were the people. 
okay, a community gets together and let's all put a dollar in the bank and then the bank can loan money to our local community when somebody wants to do something worthwhile like, oh, let's build a shopping, uh, you know, a grocery store. Let's build a hardware store. Let's build a lumber mill and put people to work. Let's do this. Let's do that. That's what the bank was there for, to lend the money, the people's money, to worthwhile endeavors. Capitalism. Build capital. Grow your business. Yeah. Well, what's changed? Money is not mined out of the ground. Money is not created by the people. It's created by a central bank. And it's not even money. It's not even a note. It's not even a note. If you were to write a note with the same characteristics as a Federal Reserve note, and I don't mean counterfeiting, okay? I don't mean make it look like a Federal Reserve note, say it's a Federal Reserve note, I'm competing with the federal government. I'm talking about a regular note. A commercial piece of paper that you create called a note. It is described in the, um, well, Uniform Commercial Code. But remember, when you look up the Uniform Commercial Code, and, you know, look, I have my opinion about using the state constitution when dealing with state players. But, you know, that's an opinion. The way things are, hey, the federal constitution may be worth, you know, mentioning, or it may not. I don't know. I think it's less worth mentioning than the state constitution when dealing with state players. But who's a state player? That's the question. See, if you were dealing with a state player, yeah, I'm pretty sure that would be the case. But... Well, on, like, uh, American Independence Hour with Aladask, we've talked about that. You know, the police you see, your local, uh, you know, Barney Fife, all right? What has he got on his shoulder? What does he have on his shoulder, okay? I mean, he might have a, hey, you know, this is the, what, whatever police force patch they wear on their shoulder. What's he got on the other shoulder? He's got what looks like a U.S. flag with a gold fringe. Why would your local cop have that? But decoration? He wants to look pretty for you when he pulls you over and harasses you? Or maybe shoots you? Really? Is that why? Just simple decoration? Then take it off if that's all it's for. I don't believe that is all it's for. I believe it's a flag being used as a flag is supposed to be used. Identifying to everyone around him who exactly you're dealing with and what law will apply to your transaction. That's what flags always were. You know, guys would put a flag on their ship and that way when you came to do business, and that's what ships were about, doing business. They got stuff from one place and brought it to another place for sale. And the thing about shipping that's changed is the fact that now, 
I have a product, I own a product, I hire a shipping company, they take my product for money and bring it to where I want it brought. Then they deliver it who I want it brought to, who paid me for the whatever it is in the ship. Used to be, I'd go find a ship captain, tell him I want you know this sent to wherever, and I got a buyer for this much. So, then the ship captain would buy my cargo from me. Obviously, for less than it would be sold for. But he would buy my cargo. Then he would transport it to my buyer that I set up. I was more of an agent in the transaction than anything. And he would deliver, get paid, and have a profit. So when you came to a ship to do business, you were doing business with the guy you were going to buy something from. So he would wheel up his flag to let you know, okay, listen, see that flag? Those, that flag represents the nation, which will be the laws this deal will be transacted under. You know, so you better be aware of the laws of trade within any given nation that has a flag up that you're going to deal with. Boy, have things changed or what? Well, one thing that hasn't changed is that we're going to have to take a break, and we will here right now, and we'll be back in just a few. Scrap Iron Blues. I got out, which is two and a half years, and had a maid. 
and me and her made man and wife. Don't know my God, that's so hard. Well, how did I get into this trouble? I used to take my family to the picture show. Now it's all right, Let them see the show. I come back up to this place in Scarletfield at Bradley's and sit down and drink beer. But that night when I walked in there, there was two men leaning up on the bar, and one man was standing by the side of him. And when I walked in there, this man said, Hello, Pete. How you doing? Well, I know him. That was Lee Jenkins. I said, Hello, Lee. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
really rap. When I get it to feed in the morning, I get a real, real restless in the day. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Monday, November 30th, 2015. It's about 12.42 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. And we're heading into a time of, uh, you know, things are going to be disrupted. uh, Because now we have coming up Christmas and New Year's. And, you know, those are two major holidays a week away. And they're only, uh, you know, what? 20, 25 days away. So, oh yes, the holiday season, that's what they call it. I call it disruptive, but hey, you know, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> All right. 800-932-1980, you can call in. Here's something uh, minor. Again, this is not earth-shattering given the conditions of the world, but just to give you a heads up if any of you ever read Politico I'm sure you've heard of Politico you must know it's a left wing communist front uh, media source right 
Well, it's much worse than that. It's not just, you know, what you read and go, oh my gosh, these guys are commies, right? No. Politico reporter Mike Allen on Monday, he downplayed his attempt to offer Chelsea Clinton a relaxed interview. And he hasn't apologized for it. He's just trying to explain that, oh, I would never do that. I've never done that. I would never do that. What did he tell his readers about it? My bad. Oh, isn't he cool? Not. Listen to this bunch of crap that this liar, okay, this actor, is trying to pass off. The email makes me cringe because I should never have suggested we would. We retain full, unambiguous editorial control over our events and questioning. My bond with readers and newsmakers is built on knowing I don't pull punches. He is a liar. Okay? He's a liar. Now, his interview with Chelsea Clinton, the newsmaker... Oh, wait a minute. Why exactly is Chelsea the I've done nothing, I do nothing, I know nothing? Why is she a newsmaker again? I'm I'm confused. But anyway, that big interview never happened. Now, and he denies this, but the th- deal is, in 2003... In a conversation between this reporter and, uh, I think, Chelsea's press secretary, as, you know, anybody who knows nothing, has done nothing, is doing nothing, needs a press secretary. Quote, the reporter says, I would work with you on topics for the interview with Chelsea and would start with anything she wants to cover or make news on. Quicker than a network hit and reaching an audience you care about with no risk. What does that mean? When you tell somebody you want to interview that there'll be no risk? No risk of what? No risk he's going to pull a knife and stab her? No risk he's going to pull a gun and shoot her? Or no risk that he's going to ask any questions she doesn't want to hear? What kind of a journalist interviews people like that? What is the point of interviewing somebody who you can't ask any questions they don't want to hear? Here's another problem with the U.S. media, because this is an admission. It's not unusual for a, and i got to put big fat air quotes around, a journalist to discuss the terms of a potential interview in advance. Really? Listen, you're a newsmaker, I'm a journalist, want to be interviewed? What's it going to be about? It's going to be about anything you know about. I'm going to ask you questions, and you're going to answer them, or you're not. That's about the only terms that should be discussed, but of course you know that's not how it goes. But it's 
remarkable that an influential reporter would suggest that he was entirely relinquishing control of an interview to a powerful person. Although, wait a minute, when did Chelsea Clinton become a powerful person? And if you think, well, you know, this is all speculation. No, it's not the first time this reporter's demonstrated a coziness with the Clintons. This guy actually apologized. Apologized to Bill Clinton and his staff in 2014 after an interview in which he asked the former president, quote, unexpected questions. (gasps) Unexpected questions? You mean not scripted? Wow, how dare you? And then he said to the Clintons, I had misunderstood the parameters, and I'm very sorry about that. Parameters. You know what? It isn't going to happen because this guy has no control. He thinks he might be a big wheel, a big shot, but his editors tell him exactly what he's going to write, exactly who he's going to interview, and exactly what he's going to ask them. He has no editorial control. He's told what to do by his editors, and they're told what to do by their advertisers, who are owned by, that's right, the likes of people like George Soros. So, folks, the point of this is to be very wary of anything that even comes close to mainstream meaning you've got to be careful of even alternative sites that pass on mainstream media we've got a news page on AVR folks and it's got mainstream media on there it also has some alternative sources and it has some very liberal sources folks that's not for you to go get the news from that's for you to go and see the lies they're telling and Try to figure out for yourself what direction they're trying to drive this bus. Because they are driving us like a herd of cattle. And part of what they do is lie. And if you can read their lies and realize, hmm, okay, I see the direction they're trying to push us by the lies they're telling, perhaps you can avoid some of that direction. Maybe you can go a different direction. Maybe not, but, you know, it, you'll have a better chance if you know about it beforehand. But you got to be careful, folks. You can't fall into this stuff. You know, I, I, the other day, responsible people who are intelligent sent out an email. Okay? These are not dummies sending out these emails. These are people who read the news every day and pass out information. And it happens from time to time. A lot of the times, you know, people have fallen for the Onion stories. But there's other news sites now doing the same Onion thing. Why do you think that is? You think everybody's getting such a big ha-ha out of it? Do you? You think everybody's just laughing it up? That's why the Onion exists? Come on, pull your head out of your behind. The Onion exists to confuse people and keep them off balance and make the news of the alternative media seem like, ah, ha, 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 where'd you get that? The National Enquirer? Oh, that's a story out of the onion. That's why they exist. But there's a new one. That's right. 
it's Fox News Facebook. Well, it's not Fox News, okay? It's somebody who thought it would be clever to create a site that looks just like Fox News, acts just like Fox News, and fools people into thinking it's really Fox News because they put out a story that got passed all over the place. The USS Ronald Reagan, you know, the aircraft carrier that got radiated at Fukushima. Yeah, and I mean more so than we're getting radiated. I mean, it got, it was right there, and it got radiated. It was sitting in the radioactive water. It's a nice big hunk of steel sucking up the radiation, okay? The USS Ronald Reagan will be coming home to be refitted and renamed to the USS Obama. All right. That was a story on Fox News Fedbook, and it got passed all over the place as real. Outrage! People were outraged, I tell you. I'm outraged. How dare they? Our hero, Ronald Reagan. Oh, my God. It's just a fake. It's just a phony story to get your heart to explode. That's all. Man, you got to be careful, you see, because, look, I, I, I got to admit, I have fallen for an onion story probably twice. But now I've learned, and when I see a headline that seems, okay, look, I don't put anything past this government. I don't. Do I think it would be impossible that the scumbags at the Pentagon and in Congress would rename the USS Ronald Reagan, USS Obama? Sure, they could do anything, folks. Nothing is uh, unbelievable with these people. However, when you see a headline like that, man, you got to search it down. you got to check it out. Where did it come from? Where's the original? Yeah, I got emails, and they got emails from other people who got emails, but where did it originate? And don't just, let me tell you, do not just go to Snoop's and go, oh, it's false, see, because Snoop says so. You can check on them, but don't put much faith in Snoop's. This is just a liberal couple being funded by the liberal left to basically poo-poo a lot of things that are true. Like, for instance, if you go to Snoop's, you'll find out that, oh, yeah, Barack Obama never said that he would stand with the... Uh, the uh, the Muslims, really, but actually, when you go read his book, or at least the part where he says that, he does say that. Yes, some people quote it. You know, they take one part and they'll put dot dot dot, and then they'll put another part dot dot dot, and they'll piece together and they'll leave out some stuff. But the stuff is basically meaningless so it can be left out he did say that and Snoop says it no he didn't but yeah he really did and if you read to the bottom of the Snoop's page where they put well this is what he actually said you can read it and go well uh wait a minute you told me up top that's not what he said now you're saying this is what he actually said yeah it's longer quote but he says it If the political winds turn ugly, he will stand with them, which is the Muslims. That's who he was talking about. Now, people say Muslims, they go, well, he didn't say that. No, he didn't say that. He said them. 
But he was talking about Muslims, and that's the part the people left out of there describing the Muslims. But, you know, <laughs> he said it anyway. Do you realize that Saudi Arabia has refused to take even one Syrian refugee? Yeah, our good buddies. You know, the Muslims, our good buddies in Saudi Arabia, refused to take not even one Syrian Muslim refugee. While the United States and Europe argue over how many Syrian refugees to allow in, the richest Persian Gulf states have accepted exactly zero. The Muslim countries of the Gulf Corporation Council that include Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates steadfastly refuse to accept any Syrian refugees. Gee... Why is that? And if they won't take their own people, why why should we take any people? Now, here is something that should really disturb you, and, and I want to make it clear, this isn't just Obama. Okay, I'm just talking about Obama, but it's not just Obama. It's all federal employees, and there's a problem here, folks. Why is this allowed at all? Released the day before Thanksgiving, you know, the day nobody's really paying attention, the day it probably won't be reported on, the U.S. Department of State disclosed its annual list of gifts from foreign governments to federal employees. Now, wait a minute. Why are, why is the United States government allowing any of its employees to accept any gifts from any foreign nations. Folks, if you work for the United States federal government and you're accepting gifts from foreign governments, you are compromised in my book, but not these guys. Now, the State Department has publicly condemned Saudi Arabia for numerous human rights violations, right? The Saudi king has given President Obama and his family roughly $1.35 million in gifts just last year. Folks, how many favors will $1.35 million in your own personal bank account buy? Many world leaders offered the president and multiple other federal employees lavish gifts throughout 2014, while British Prime Minister David Cameron gave Obama a photograph and a facsimile telegram from Winston Churchill estimated at $440. Saudi King Abdullah, the rest of his name, offered First Lady Michelle Obama $1.13 million in jewelry sets. Yes, not Barack, but First Lady Michelle Obama. As Prince William pompously gave the president a signed photographic portrait of Prince William, valued at $880, the Saudi king sent $80,000 in jewelry sets to Obama's daughters, the little girls, $80,000. The Saudi government also gave the president two gold wristwatches, valued at $85,000. 
leading the international community in attempting to whore out our commander-in-chief, the Saudi king also presented Obama with a gold-plated brass replica of the Macan clock tower on marble base estimated at $57,000. You know what, folks? Why isn't that considered bribery? I mean, honestly. If you were working at McDonald's as a manager, like a regional manager, and you were taking million-dollar gifts from Burger King, don't you think that, you know, McDonald's would start asking you some hard questions about what do you think you're doing here? I think so. Why aren't we? All right. I got to go. I'll be back again tonight. Two hours with Dean. Well, one hour with Dean Lauren, one hour with me. We'll be back. We got a full day coming up, and it'll start right after this with financial survival. As always, thanks for listening. My new neighbor don't like my big red barn A 47 Ford bullet holes in the door Broke down motor in the front yard <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign And nail it up on a knotty pine tree Saying I was here first This is my piece of dirt And your rambling don't rattle me American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Suderstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adisk, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Monday, November 30th, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. Oh, it's great to be back. I was so ready for today's program after having... What, three full days away from uh, the radio program? It's, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. So it's good to be back. And at least we had a decent uh, day for gold anyway. We'll be talking a little bit about Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and uh, to see what some of the reports are coming in on that. But today we have uh, gold a little bit higher, up 830 at 1065 we have silver $14.18 we have platinum down 3 at 834 with palladium down 6 at 546 the USD is still USDX is still stronger up point 11 uh, at a 100.19 and you have the crude oil Crude oil down 0.13 at 41.58. And the paper markets today didn't know what direction it wanted to go until late, down 78 points, 17,719. You have the NASDAQ down 18 at 5108. The S&P was down 9 at 2080. We have... Basically, Asian and European markets were pretty much flat. We had the big drop on Friday in the Chinese markets, but uh, uh, they didn't do much uh, overnight. We had down uh, over 5% for the uh, Chinese stock market on Friday. Um, let's see if there's any other. It was nice to see Newmont Mining up 6% today. So <laughs> get a little action out of those mining uh, shares uh, after for so long. So it's good to see that. Um I talked about the 10-year yield, 2.22%. The euro is 106, down 0.23. And um, there's a lot of reports out uh, this week, so it could be a very active week in both the stock markets and the uh, precious metals arena. So um, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, various reports. Um some said they were busy. Others say, "Ow, not well, so much." Yeah, there's an article from the True Activist says spending was at an all-time low mm -hmm. for Black Friday this year, and corporations lost billions. Now, I don't know that corporations lost billions because there is another side to this, but let's just go through it a little bit. For years, Black Friday brawls and rampant materialism on the day after Thanksgiving have become a sort of twisted American celebration. However, each year. The excitement continues to die down as people reject Black Friday antics and instead do their shopping online or on other dates. According to a survey by the National Retail Federation, Black Friday attendance, now this is at brick-and-mortar stores, was down over 3% from 58.7% uh, last year to 55.1% this year. All right, so attendance is down 3%. Survey noted that the average shopper was expected to spend $380 uh, 
$381, which was down by about 7% from the $407 spent last year. According to the group's estimate, sales slipped from $57.4 billion to $50.9 billion. That's $7 billion off. That's roughly one-seventh less dollar sales this year than last year. They offer a few uh, uh, NRF, I think that's the National Retail Federation President and CEO Matthew Shea. He said a strengthening economy that changes consumers' reliance on deep discounts, a highly competitive environment, early promotions, and the ability to shop 24-7 all contributed to the shift witnessed this weekend. He's saying when he says a strengthening economy that changes consumers' reliance on deep discounts, he's implying that people are saying, I'm making so much money now, I'm not even shopping for any deals. I'll just take whatever I can get and buy it without, without really comparing prices. I don't believe that. Highly competitive environment, I believe that. Early promotions, uh, yeah, I believe that. The ability to shop 24-7 online is equivalent to seeing a highly competitive environment. The point behind this article, ultimately, is that people spent less at brick-and-mortar stores on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day, Christmas, and the Friday, and so on. They spent spent less at brick-and-mortar stores, but it's not yet clear, at least not to me, that they absolutely spent less in total because they're spending more on the Internet. There's another article from the Associated Press, Black Friday store sales fall as Americans buy more online. There's There's the deal there. Sales at retail stores on Black Friday fell to $10.4 billion this year, down 10.3% from last year. Yeah. You know what? Who wants to go to brick-and-mortar stores anymore? I mean, you had all kinds of terror warnings out. You have all kinds of fist fights and people getting killed by going to these stores. I mean, where's the fun in that? I went to one store yesterday, and it's like you didn't even know it was Christmas in there. There was no decorations, no. I mean, it was the dreariest day of shopping ever. And it was just like, people are rude. People are nasty. Like, what's the point do it online you don't have to deal with any of that well but uh but here's the point behind that and i don't doubt what you're saying is true well it is um they point out in other parts of this article or a third one that i have here on this and they point out that uh, they are declining by about retail stores are are losing about 10 percent per year on their sales during the during the holiday season, um, well, I that's get not ten percent of their annual sales. That's ten percent of their holiday sales. Uh, turns out to two or three percent of their annual sales are being lost. You can't lose two or three percent every year for too many years before you're out of business. And if they go out of business, then what is the value? That's of what I mean. It's all retail. by design. It's all by design. I mean, you can't it's tell me that the, there's design. a big it's push. Happened. You can't tell me there's not a big push to get people to do online. They don't want people to go anywhere. They just want them to buy, 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 buy. People will buy more online because they're sitting on an uncomfortable chair in front of the uh, computer. I'll guarantee you more people buy more online than if they actually went to the brick-and-mortar store. 
Yeah, that might be. But here's one of the things about it. When they're buying online, they are shopping. And they are comparing, let's see, I, I can get this item at Target for X number of dollars. I can get it at Walmart for and save 25 cents on it. I can get it over at some of place else to save 85 cents on it. They are really shopping and comparing online. Really? Where you go to the store and it's more impulsive. I'll just take, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Let's take that. And they're not necessarily as price sensitive. What this means is even the stores that are selling online because they're competing against other online dealers, they're going to find their profits margins shrinking and shrinking if they want to make the sale. They're going to make less money off of this. And the other point is that through all of this, after several years of these declines, businesses located in the brick-and-mortar stores will tend toward bankruptcy. The occupancy rates in brick-and-mortar stores will decline. The value of commercial retail stores will decline, pushing commercial real estate prices lower. I'll guarantee you, if you had a brick-and-mortar store that had people in there that actually waited on people like they used to, and and they actually had festive and so forth, I'll guarantee you they would probably sell more in the brick-and-mortar store than than they would online. But it's just they, they've taken it's they just it's all about shopping anymore. They've taken everything away and it's just all about well, you it's put so materialistic on, anymore. Yeah, and it's just they're, like they're materialistic but they are also squeezed for how much money do they have. I think they got more I mean they have they to be do. careful about how much money they spend because their source because it hasn't been a good several years really. It's not like we're sitting here and all anticipating, boy, I can't wait till next year. We'll make even more money next year than we did this year. I have People a question. don't have that level of optimism, therefore they're pinching pennies. Everyone is going to be, there's, there's a problem here, and it flows in part just from the recession that never seems to have completely ended. And I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, people, but on the other hand, I read one story that they were talking about Macy's. And they started shopping at 7.30 p.m. And they wrapped it up at 5.30 a.m. Friday. Who can shop <laughs> from 7.30 p.m. in the evening till 5.30 a.m.? Well, you don't have to be there the whole time. It's not required. They won't. They, they let you out of the store I don't before care. 5.30 a.m. Just because you started up at 7.30 or whatever it was p.m. doesn't mean you have to stay for the whole deal. You can go in and leave earlier, and other people can come in later. They were shopping from 7.30 p.m., but that's not the point of the story. But, I, you know, I, you are going to see more online and also more online shopping and buying, and it's almost the same thing as we're going to see much more of these robots taking over positions yeah. of yeah. people, too. I mean, it's all this computer age. Oh, it isn't technology grand, folks. I understand. I mean, the business, the Amazon business model – so far as I know, has so far failed to generate a profit. Uh-huh. Right? Amazon has not yet generated a profit, but it has grown, just grown and grown. And I'm sure what the re- part of the reason, there, I assume, that part of the reason they haven't generated a profit is they are reinvesting every dollar they make, can beg, borrow, or steal, or earn in order to capture, make, make Amazon bigger and bigger and bigger and so on. Um, the, uh, even despite the fact it hasn't generated a profit, the Amazon business model, which includes massive warehouses but virtually no brick-and-mortar stores, appears to be the wave of the future. We're going to see a time when 
Retail businesses will be relatively rare. We'll never get away from them completely. I won't argue that. But retail businesses, I mean, I don't expect, I expect to still do grocery shopping, but that, even that may be a mistake. I may be mistaken. But here's another article that goes along with this. Amazon unveils new drone prototype for 30-minute deliveries. Google seeks drone deliveries by 2017. Google is going to be delivering by drone, or at least they plan to, within two years. All right, Amazon is perhaps moving a little quicker than that. They've got a picture of the drone, and there's a video you can look at. And Amazon unveils new hybrid drone prototype to make deliveries within 30 minutes. Place an order, and, a, and one of these drones will drop the order in your backyard within a half hour. Now, you'll pay an extra premium for it, that's for sure. But regardless, this is something extraordinary. This, this new drone can travel, up to 50, can travel up to 15 miles at high speed. Um, they, they expect they can deliver packages to customers within the 15 miles. They can deliver them within 30 minutes of an order. The vehicle, the drone can fly up to 60 miles per hour, and it weighs under 55 pounds. Um, now, Google is going to try to do something similar on its own. What this, is, what this is telling me is if retail stores are being threatened, the brick-and-mortar stores are threatened by the Internet, then it follows that UPS, Federal Express, and the U.S. Post Office may also be threatened by drones. I can remember back in the 1950s, I used to watch a cartoon series called The Jetsons. I never much cared for it. It was crudely drawn, and I didn't think it was particularly funny. But nevertheless, it was there. A lot of people watched The Jetsons. It was about a marvelous, futuristic lifestyle. Again, I'd never liked that cartoon series, but I never expected to live like a Jetson. I didn't expect that world would happen in my time. I thought it was just fanciful nonsense. Now it appears that you and I may be on the verge of a Jetsons-like ex life existence. We'll all be quite fantastic, but I'm not sure that I'm going to really like being one of the Jetsons. Maybe I'm just too old to get it. But changes seem to be happening at a rate that are almost impossible to comprehend or even keep up with. Life is something, becoming something like an LSD experience. I mean, it's just moving past you so fast. You're going to have drones dropping packages in your backyard within the next couple of years. You're going to be able to order things that, and have them delivered in less time than it would take you to get out, get in a car, drive to town, shop, get in line, find the product you're looking for, get in line, pay for the product, get in the car and come home. No, you don't. It'll, they'll have drones dropping it to you without even having to go out and get in your car. My problem with all of this wonderful Jetsons lifestyle is this. If all the products are made in China, they close down most of the retail stores and replace the truck drivers at UPS with drones, Who's going to have a job? Will we all be on welfare? And maybe that's where we're headed. But if, if almost no one has jobs, who will be able to afford the Jetson lifestyle that, I don't know, I begin to wonder. I'm trying to think of what the song was for the Jetsons. Melody, did you hear the Jetsons? Or did you see the Jetsons cartoons when you were back in the... Uh... Yes. You did. Do you remember the song? No, I don't. Hmm. Well, I don't either, so I guess I can't criticize you for having a bad memory, Melody. But... I can remember the Flintstones. I remember, everybody remembers the Flintstones. 
That was on my high school graduation exam. You had to be able to sing the, the Flintstones song. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. In any case, the world is changing, and Black Friday is an illustration of that fact. We've got brick-and-mortar stores are doing less business. This year, they did less business last year. They did less business the year before that. And we are watching a decline in the brick-and-mortar stores. And all by itself, that has big implications for who has businesses, who functions as, who has a job as a clerk, as a, you know, um, uh, and, and the price of retail commercial space. What's that real estate? What's that? What's going to happen to that? Um, then we've got Google and Amazon proposing to deliver packages within 30 minutes by means of drones. <laughs> I mean, it really is like something out of Buck Rogers and the, and the 25th century or something. You know, uh, I thought it was going to take a little longer to get to Buck Rogers, but apparently not. We're going to take a break for some commercial announcements. We will be back in a moment on financial survival. Please stay tuned. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, it has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Folks, I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. What's next, Melody? Well, we were talking during the break after 33 years, Christmas in Washington has been canceled. For more than three decades and five administrations, Christmas in Washington, it was a, a like you know a holiday special that was always attended by the first family, uh, is not coming back. And... Uh, uh, it, it wasn't done by the president or anything. It was a. Uh, it was produced uh, by TNT, and I guess they didn't have uh, some sort of a sponsor uh, for it. Uh, they were looking for a Santa Claus. They should be, but after last year's show, they said it would no longer broadcast. Uh, but uh, ended a 15-year partnership, and uh, they didn't find another partner. So, you know, it's it's, it's you know some people might think that's silly. <laughs> Some people might think it's, you know, what's the point, you know, that's no big deal. But you know what, to me, it's just, you know, it's here we are. You know, it's just another sign of the times. And, uh, you know, when there's... I don't think Congress cares about Christmas as long as they have lobbyists. Who needs Christmas, Melody? Their stockings will be filled. Well, I get that, and I'm not talking about politicians, but I mean, here is just another sign that... uh, you know, not to be not to you know to elaborate on it for twenty minutes, but you know, here's just something, just a little story that popped up, and you know, it's, you know they take you know you know no one says Merry Christmas anymore. Everybody knows that everything it's taken out. Just like when I went did a little bit of shopping, it was like it's like is it really even Christmas? I mean, there was no well, no it's lights, not Christmas. No one of the things you know, one of the things I can remember as a child going back. I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, I can remember we did our Christmas shopping. We'd go out, we were chasing around trying to do Christmas shopping the night or two before Christmas. I, I can remember that. Now we've got Christmas. You know, it is so commercialized. Well, I don't know. Are we really going to miss Christmas any more than we miss Secretary's Day? Well, that's because you're a guy. guy. Buy some flowers, buy some stuff, spend some spend some money. I don't know. Is there is well, there a spirit of Christmas left right no, now? You know what, Al? Kids, Christmas was for children, and I can remember as a child, it did start. The, the, there was the Christmas parade after Thanksgiving. That's when you first saw Rudolph. That was when you first saw Santa Claus. It was, you know, it wasn't about it wasn't about shopping. It wasn't about buying. It was about the season. And uh, but it did. The lights were turned on. I mean, you had your Christmas lights up, and Thanksgiving night was the night you turned it on. That's when the lights came on. As the town, as a community, it was something that was uh, very much different then than it is today. It just wasn't about shopping. 
And uh, I mean, we were poor. We didn't we didn't do a lot of shopping when we when when I was little. I mean, our parents, you know, we didn't we didn't get to write a Christmas list of what we wanted. We didn't have four pages of things that we wanted filled with toys. You know, Miles, we got things that we needed. You know, clothes for school, socks, underwear. We got things like that. Our stocking, stockings were filled with oranges and nuts and candy. You know, it wasn't filled with little iPods and and and, and iPhones. It would be obsolete or at least second rate within about 90 days when the next one comes out from Samsung or something like that. Well, be that it may, but I mean, than that the one you got. So well, yeah, when you see this little thing, it's, it's it's you know it's not a big deal, but it's like yeah, no, let's just push something else away, you know, and uh, we'll see if the, you know, if it ever does come back. But well, Melody, all I can say is they're taking the commerce out of Christmas. It used to be just at first it was a Christian holiday. They took the Christ out of it. Now they're kind of taking the commerce out of it, or at least the internet is taking the commerce out of Christmas. No point to putting any, up any decorations at your brick-and-mortar stores because nobody's going there anymore anyway. We're What's just going to do now? all our shopping on the Internet. What's next? Oh, here's one from the... This is uh, today they they announced the IMF agrees to include China's renminbi or yuan in the benchmark special drawing rights currency basket. International Monetary Fund agreed Monday to allow the Chinese yuan uh, to add it into its reserve currency basket. Now, this is interesting to me because, first off, you ask, you have to ask yourself, is there a difference between the IMF's reserve currency basket, also known as the special drawing rights, and the dollar's status as world reserve currency? And the answer is yes. The dollar is part of the IMF's reserve currency basket, but the dollar is by itself the predominant world reserve currency. Right? There's a difference between the two of these. Still, there's been talk about replacing the dollar as the primary world reserve currency, and most of that talk is focused on using special drawing rights issued by the IMF. In other words, they're going to use this reserve currency basket it's going to be used as the backbone of, for a new world reserve currency. At least that's a proposal. All right? Some people are talking about it with, with apparent they're serious about it. And <clears throat> could it be that adding the Chinese yuan to the IMF's reserve currency basket is a preliminary and necessary step toward replacing the fiat dollar as world reserve currency? with the IMF's reserve currency basket and special drawing rights. Is this a preliminary step? Does this signal this? I don't know that to be true. I'm speculating. That's all, I, that's all I'm offering right now is speculation on this. But if I recall correctly, the Chinese yuan was considered for membership in the IMF's reserve currency basket just last August, just over three months ago, and it was rejected at that time. If I recall correctly, the U.S. government was a primary force behind the IMF's decision to reject the yuan for the reserve currency basket, the IMF reserve currency basket, last August. More, if I recall correctly, China was told in August that it would be several years before the yuan was again considered for the inclusion in the IMF's reserve currency basket. Three months ago. 
No, I may not be recalling correct because I just looked the story up. The story just appeared. I became aware of the story just half hour or so before, um, maybe an hour before the program began. I can't verify, verify my recollections on this. My recollections might be wrong. And as President Bush might have said, this would be Bush the Jr. I may have misremembered some of my recollections. But if my recollections are roughly correct, I'm left to ask, why has the IMS changed its mind about including China's yuan in just over three months ago? What has happened and or what is happening and or what is about to happen that's so important that it overcomes the U.S. government's previous objection to the yuan in less than four months? I look at this, and maybe it's insignificant. I don't know what the great significance of this is. But I look at it and think, you know, that's, that's odd. That signals to me that something strange is going on here. Does the inclusion of Chinese yuan signal that the IMF's reserve currency basket and special drawing rights are will in the near future assume some or all of the dollar's current role as world reserve currency? Maybe. We don't know that to be true. It's a speculation, but maybe. The CNBC article continues. says the decision, which marks another step in, China, in global economic problem, uh, emergence for China, and I'd add perhaps by implication the United States global economic decline, maybe, came after the IMF evaluated the Asian nation's standing as exporter, and Yuan's role as freely usable currency. In a statement, IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde noted that Yuan's inclusion is a clear representation of reforms taking place in China. I don't know that there have been any extraordinary reforms in the last 90 to 120 days. What's happened that's in China that should change things since August? The continuation and deepening of these efforts will bring about a more robust international monetary and financial system, which in turn will support the growth and stability of China and the global economy. That's from Lagarde. Well, that's just so much hot air, if you ask me, a more robust international monetary and financial system. Well, yeah, but if that's what we're going to have, is if China is going to add a certain amount of robustness, there is such a word, an international and financial stability. <clears throat> it implies that the current system right now is not so robust. It implies that it's not so stable. And it implies we're not just taking China because they're good. We're taking China because there's something going on that's wrong at this time. And China may be able to offset some of that, some of whatever it is that's wrong. And I, I can't help, you know can't help wondering is somebody saying there's a problem with the dollar here is that the they're not saying it but is that the implication the addition of the yuan or renminbi that's also the term they use for the chinese currency will take effect next october all right well there's good news in that <clears throat> it's not going to happen right now it's not going to happen for a year so insofar as i am speculating that maybe the inclusion of the yuan, particularly after it was rejected just 100 days ago or thereabouts, 
the inclusion of the yuan is not going to take place till October. So my little conspiracy theories are perhaps, perhaps unreliable. And we've got at least a year to go before anything. Judging by this, it implies that it'll be at least a year before anything happens to the U.S. dollar where it might be replaced by special drawing rights or at least compromised by special drawing rights of the IMF. Um, Lagarde in the United States had supported the inclusion of the yuan and basket known as special drawing rights. It will join euro, yen, pound, and dollar in the reserves basket. The yuan will have about 11% of the weighting in the special drawing rights basket. But the yuan is going to have 11% of the SDR's weighting, the special drawing rights weighting. It follows that that 11% is going to be subtracted from one or more of the four currencies that currently comprise the SDR's weighting. Huh? I wonder how much of that SDR, how much of that 11% is coming from the current world weighting, weighting in the SDR basket. How much of that is coming from the whatever percentage is held by the United States? The MF said the U of the Yuan's inclusion will make the SDR more diverse and representative of the international community. That's more smoke and mirrors, from my opinion. Uh, the basket determines the currency mix for countries like Greece when the IMF disperses financial aid. The decision to add the Yuan will likely increase the demand for the currency. If the demand for the yuan is going up, there's going to be a demand for that currency. It follows a demand for some other currency. Perhaps the dollar must be going down. Again, the good news is that they, if they don't plan to include China in, in the SDR reserve basket until October of next year, which incidentally would be about a month before the next presidential election, it's unlikely that any dramatic event will happen before then to significantly diminish or even destroy the U.S. dollar status as world reserve currency. So, I don't know. I look at this information and I wonder, is this, is this news? Is it worthy of speculation? And does it signify that something major is headed our way? Or is this just another one of those things, a certain amount of white noise? Melody, do you think this is white noise or do you think it's news worth considering? Well, what China did in August, they did, they did introduce a new mechanism for, for, for uh, settling the, the government exchange rate. And that's what led their currency to drop, what, what was it, three and a half, three, three and a half percent. You know, that's how they got it. That's what happened. Um, but they, they, they're promising that it won't happen again, that they, they don't want to devalue it. They're trying to build up some sort of... Uh, you know, uh, are, they dragging China in, are they dragging China in to prevent China from devaluing its currency further? It, it is very possible. It is very possible. Uh, because I can't remember the exact uh, um, timing or the exact date that they did that, that that dropped, but it was about the same time that the IMF said that they weren't going. I think they, I think they did this, set this new mechanism after the IMF had said, you know, we're, we're going to reconsider you another year from now. Then I think they devalued their currency, but I'm not sure which came first. But it was in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, China has come out previously and said they're looking for an international currency. 
and by adding their currency to this basket, I'm not so sure they want to be the quote-unquote reserve currency. I don't think the Chinese currency is going to replace the dollar, but I think they will create an international currency. They will create a trade unit. And I think that trade unit, which I said for ages and ages, will probably be backed by gold by some percentage. So that's how I see it, and I've been saying it for years. They have to have, when every country has a fiat currency, and they can manipulate it at will, you need something to bring that together. Because it's all about international trade anymore. And that's that they're going to have to fix their problem. And their problem is these currencies are, you know, manipulated at will. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to create a trade unit, and they're going to have to back it by gold. And that's... Uh, I think one of China's problems is just the power of the United States. From their perspective, they'd like to see the United States less powerful. And that power sure. lies to a great deal, to a great extent on the United States dollar being recognized as world reserve currency. Not the only one, but primarily it's still 80% anyway, U.S. dollar, and nothing really in the wings to replace it. If they could do anything to diminish the United States dollar's role as a world reserve currency, the dollar would become less valuable, the United States would theoretically become less powerful, perhaps this, perhaps China looks at this as an advantage. So. Maybe that's what's going on. We don't know. It's interesting to speculate and even fun. We don't know what the true answer is, but it's something to keep our eye on. Let's take a break for some commercials, and Melody and I will be right back. Please stay tuned to Financial Survival. heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its 
since gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adask here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival. What's next, Melody? Oh, are you finished with the... Uh... Yeah. With the IMF? Well, we can be. Well, I you know, think one of the things I we just... talked about during the break, we were talking about Melody anticipates the day when there will be a single currency in the world. And I don't doubt that is a fundamental objective of the New World Order, but there's a very serious problem. And that is that each economy and region has competing financial interests and monetary interests. They are in competition because they are at different points in the business cycle. Business cycle is essentially a sine wave where a, where a, nas- a nation's economy uh, goes up and it gets hot and it's running too hot and they want to withdraw the amount, take some of the money out of the economy in order to cool it off, and then it goes down to a bottom and it becomes they want to add money to the bottom at the low end of the economy in order to boost it back up toward a higher element. And then it goes too high and they have to... There's a sine wave of that kind of economic activity for the gross domestic product of the United States. There's another sine wave for that kind of economic activity for Japan, another one for the European Union, another one for China. And And the problem you have is these sine waves are not synchronized. And they have to be. For the New World Order, if there's going to be a New World Order, it's got to make, it's got to have the same problems everywhere at the same time. We've got to all be going into inflation or we've got to all be going into deflation if the world government is going to impose its power and work it where everybody agrees that's a good deal. Well, sit back. If we're all in inflation, too, too much inflation, the world government says, okay, let's, let's cut down on inflation. Everyone will agree that's a good thing. If we're all in deflation at the same time, the, world, the new world order will say, okay, we're going to move out of deflation here. And everyone will say, yeah, that's a good thing. But the problem is how do you get all of these business cycles to synchronize where they are all at the top, at the same time, all at the bottom at the same time. It's really easy, Al. They're gonna I don't purge, think it is easy. They're, they're going to purge the system, because I'll tell you what, the policies that they're being introduced now, they're not being introduced at a time when all these co- countries are, and economies are functioning at, uh, at prime. All right? Oh, I agree. You have every country that is worth anything in debt, that can't pay their debts, that have economies that are failing, and it's real simple in order to push the, push it to the degree to where, just like anything else, they will openly accept a new economic policy. You know, and things are going to change, and they're going to change drastically. And that's yeah, I what, agree that they're going to change drastically. And that's what we're trying to get across to the people that listen to these programs. 
things are going to change. We might not have the direct set of one, two, three, and how it's going to change and when it's going to change, but I'll guarantee you big changes are coming. Changes are going to come that you can't even fathom right now. And, yeah, this is a, this is a thing where it's like, yeah, well, how are they going to do that? Well, all these countries are so bad, and all you need is a little war. All you need is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And the next thing you know, because one thing I do know, these people are really patient. Oh, yeah, I understand. And they really are patient, and they just weave their little, they build their little roads and their little webs to their tune. And in the meantime, the people of these countries, the people here in this country, guess what? We were turned into slaves, we suffer, we lose, they take every single penny that we work so hard for. And while they promote their little agenda and, and do uh, because, uh, you know, they do whatever they're going to do. But yeah, you're right. It's a new, it's the world order, and I believe this is part of it. Well, so they will point. get to that. I get here your point. Here is my point. I no, I don't think point. you do. I do. No, you haven't heard my point yet. Huh? Well, my point is that the only way I can see to bring all to synchronize all of the world's economies and get them all at the same point on the business cycle, we need a global depression where everybody is busted flat. All right? And if Japan is in depression and we're in depression, the European Union is depression, China's in depression, and basically the whole world collapses into depression. When that happens, we all go to bottom at the same time. And then exactly. if there's something like the New World Order in a position of power to say, well, I'll tell you what, we can kind of jack this thing up a little bit. We can stimulate the whole world at the same time. The whole world will go along with the program. But my point is that because we are on different business cycles, different sine waves for our GDP, we're at the top when somebody else is at the bottom and so on. This, it's not, you can't resolve that without hurting one country very badly, and the other country will be much improved. They won't go along with that unless they are all busted flat in the first place, which suggests to me that it's possible that the New World Order, in order to come into full bloom, effect, and power, it's going to have to collapse the global economy in the first place. I guess we're not that far away from that, are we? No. I thought that was... Exactly. I mean, hey, we can blame it on global warming. I mean, hey, they they say, you know, global warming. <laughs> who, who who knows? You know, but the point is, these problems, all these creations, all the adding, bringing China in, allowing China to do what they're, all of this is all building up to their little old plan to bring everything together. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, if you have eyes to see, it's there. And it's it's not going to be good for us. Well, the world is oh, going to change. Good for for not good for anyone. Good for anybody. I mean, it's going to be a great sacrifice. Everyone is going. If assuming that my notion on this is correct, we're going to see a global depression that is going to cause millions. As far as I'm concerned, concerned, we already have it. Oh, we have a depression, but it's not to the extent that I'm anticipating. It hasn't. We don't have a. We have a global recession right now. Recession. All right. We're getting along. I'm eating on a regular basis. America's doing okay. Europe is doing okay. We have some problems. Yeah, things are not great. But in, what I'm suggesting is things are going to have to be universally bad 
where every economy collapses to down to its bottom level at the same time. And then, when everybody is busted flat, you can't even count on where your next meal is coming from, it's at that point that people will agree if the new world order comes in and they say, we can, st- we can save you. We can put a chicken in every pot. All right? All you got to do is support us. The world will largely go along with the program. It's not any different. First, they have to suffer in a way that we probably haven't seen in this country since the Civil War. And it's not any different from our legi- from our retirement accounts and, and from everything else. We know that there's been legislation talked about. We know there's been legislation written about. And when you have a stock market that drops from eighteen thousand to back to six thousand once again, people will say, "Take it and just give me my little annuity payment, you know, so I don't have to worry about taking care of myself anymore. Taking care of my money is just too hard to do." So. I'm going to give it to you, Mr. Government, and you take care of it. Just give me my monthly check. People will line up to sign the paperwork for it because they've, you know, you know they've been losing. They comes back, they lose, they come back, and they're being set up to accept the final. I agree with that. Basically, I agree with that. But even then. This won't be an automatic where people are just going to jump in on it. I think the only way you can do it is everybody's got to be broken down flat. But the point then, if the new world order is going to exist, I don't see how it's going to be able to maintain power unless it recognizes or at least advocates that everyone on the face of the earth has the same standard of living. I don't think the New World Order is going to be able to sit back and say, well, we're going to keep the United States at its standard of living, and those of you living in, the, in Africa, you're going to live like you know, monkeys in the jungle, but we're not going to give you any, any more than you had in the past. The only way this is going to, I won't say the only way, but a high probability that they're going to want ultimately to make everyone on Earth have the same standard of living. Now, that means that the people who are currently living in poverty in Asia, for example, or Africa, or wherever. They're going to be, yay, yay, we're going to get some of the Europeans' money. We're going to get some of the gringos' money. All right? We're going to get some of the Japanese' money. We'll make those rich SOBs pay. Well, they'll be happy to go along with the New World Order. But if you happen to be in one of the countries populated by the rich SOBs, you're going to watch your standard of living decline dramatically. You are going to leave a legacy to your children and your grandchildren of poverty and subservience and maybe even slavery. And that's going to head your way. And I don't sit back and apologize for whatever wealth the Western world has acquired as compared to, you know, the less the third world nations and so on. I don't, I don't mean that anybody who's rich is a good man and the rest of that sort of thing, but I do mean that much of the wealth that's been achieved by the West has been achieved by virtue of a culture, a particular culture that the third world doesn't either can't or won't embrace. All right? And I can't think of his last name right now. Pat wrote a book, um famous commentator and whatever, uh, wrote a book, and he talked about Christendom. That's where 
what passes for civilization today, that is what laid the foundation for what passes for civilization globally, for technological advancement. This all sprung out of the Christian world of Europe, the Christian world of the United States, the Christian world of a few other countries. Christendom was actually the foundation, and, and I'm going to argue that the reason for our prosperity flows from that culture, and we've forgotten it. And we're being led to believe that if somebody doesn't have any money, it's not because they have a bad system of values or because they're lazy or incompetent or they don't, they, they, their, their, their culture prevents them from having the right values needed to prosper. Um, they're arguing that if they don't have the right money, it's because they're being oppressed. I'm saying, no, it's not. It's because you're choosing to live with a particular culture that is contrary to your own best interests. And insofar as you want to make that choice and you want to embrace something other than what it, the Christendom that we find in Europe and we find in the United States. Now, we don't have it to the same extent we did. We are coasting like a ship at sea that is without any power. The momentum of our movement keeps the ship moving, but it's not under power. It's not under control. We've lost much of that culture. We've lost awareness of that culture. And as we have, we are now going to be susceptible to losing the prosperity that once flowed from that culture. Well, my point is the New World Order will bring us to another culture that will be more in line with, the third, with that of the third world. And if that's what Americans want, or if that's what they're willing to accept, or if they're unwilling to fight for whatever they've had in the past and what they might want for the future, well, then we're going to go in, we're going to become third world citizens too. And there will be ultimately a kind of homogenization of the planet. And the poor people will go anywhere. Anyone has a culture where you have sufficient discipline and work ethic and whatever else it takes to generate prosperity, go ahead and do it in your city. Do it in your family. Do it in your state, your nation, wherever. And the poor people just flood in. As soon as you manage to figure, if you figure out how to become prosperous, the poor will flood. They will, in, they will, they will fly in like locusts. And they will insist on their right to share everything that you've earned. And they'll argue that you earned it because you got it because you are racists or whatever. And the truth is, you got it because you are culturalists. You embraced a particular culture that was successful in generating pro prosperity. Well, New World Order is not going to recognize the culture that has that Christendom. It can't stand it. It'll come up with some other cock and bull story, and as a result, we will all, if we embrace the new world order, if it comes to pass, we will all live in a kind of universal poverty. And it won't be fun, and it won't, it won't make for an extended life expectancy. And if we allow that to happen, that will be our legacy to our children and grandchildren. We'll just have to tell them, we were too busy watching TV. We didn't have time to fight for Christendom. We didn't have time to fight for liberty. We were watching the Cardassians. Hmm? Which, for those of you, if there's any of you who don't know, the Cardassians are not a space race on, uh, on Star Trek. It's just Should a couple be. of people. Yeah, I understand. They probably <laughs> should be. 
In any case, we live in interesting times. Things are changing rapidly. It's important for us to try to find fundamentals, understand them, and make choices, and be prepared to fight to defend those choices. We're out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L-A-N-S-E-T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800 581 8906. Order today. 
The U.S. dollar is fluctuating. Gasoline reserves are low and the price is rising. World events are at best uncertain. How would you fare a stock market crash, hyperinflation, or an overall economic collapse? What would you do if you woke up and the U.S. dollar had the buying power of a penny? Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN for a free 21-page report explaining the current economic dangers and how you can take steps to protect yourself and family. Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN. That's 1-800-289-2646. 1-800-289-2646. To learn how you can become prepared, call 1-800-289-2646 and mention you heard it on the American Voice Radio Network. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Silver wings Start off the week, right? You're listening to American Voice Radio. It is Freedom Call. My name is Bo Greitz. My uh, email that Al Gore, uh, you know, when he invented the Internet, he made so uh, we can get instantaneous electronic mail uh, around the world. Uh, you've got to be uh, with an account, but other than that, uh, you can spend uh, endless time sending messages to China and other places on the globe and... Uh, it goes uh, as fast as as electricity can carry it. Pretty amazing. My email address uh, for all of you over there in China, if you want to mail me something. And my daughter, if you're interested in Mel-O-D, she uh, is all over the world and uses uh, uh, email to let me know when she's safely arrived somewhere else. She's in truck. T-R-U-K. In the local language, I think it's uh, called Chuck. (laughs) C-H-U-U-K or something like that. It's uh, out there in the Pacific was a Japanese uh, headquarters and stronghold for naval logistics. Uh, We hit truck, and it has now the largest uh, graveyard known in the world for uh, military commercial vessels, and there's almost like 250 aircraft, Japanese aircraft we shot down, that are there in the lagoon. And the uh, lagoon is about 150 feet deep. Now, 150 feet is uh, beyond what a lot of uh, basic divers Uh, would want to penetrate because it means you've got to start factoring in bottom time and decompression. And while you have to demonstrate a knowledge and an ability at working these formulas before you can be uh, certified uh, as a uh, scuba diver, open water, 
uh, a lot of people never want to get into it. And so for Melody, 150 feet is like a trip to the bathtub. And so it'll be very interesting. Uh, and she, God be praised, will be home. Uh, this is the uh, getting close. We're on the 29th of uh, November here. November has only 30 days in it. Uh, I think the government's behind time. I haven't gotten any bills to speak of. I think it's all this Black Friday business, and this is Cyber Monday. And, oh, by the way, let me give you my algo or email now. My address is bowrights, B-O-G-R-I-T-Z, bowrights, at msn.com, microsoftnetwork.com is what it stands for. Bogreitz at msn.com. Now, Al Gore also made it possible for us to have uh, a site. I have a Facebook uh, site under Bogreitz. And uh, I have a a website, actually, that kind of lets you know what is uh, available. I don't know how to input it. Uh, Jerry Gentry, who is uh, a supporter and advertiser, on American Voice Radio, he's the guy that uh, knows how to get into my uh, website. Anyway, nevertheless, there are numbers there. Uh, there's uh, other facts uh, and information. So it's www. That's uh, Al Gore we- World Wide Web. www. Bogrites. B O G R I T Z. Dot com com all right uh, now serious stuff uh, to start the day off uh, in afghanistan today an afghani policeman on the east side of afghanistan that is near the pakistani border shot and killed six Americans, and uh, this was a training exercise. And finally, uh, this Afghan policeman was shot dead himself, but not before uh, he opened fire with live ammunition on United States troops and killed six of them. So we're not starting this week off uh, well at all. And to give you an indication about uh, what are we doing in Afghanistan, the U.S. State Department uh, has it's been revealed. One of their official cables describes President Hamid Karzai he is the Afghan president. He is our Afghan president. His daddy, Karzai, was uh, slow-stroking Eisenhower, for crying out loud, and Kennedy uh, back long ago. And so it has set the Karzai's up uh, to be in power when America took over Afghanistan. And so Hamid Karzai... Uh, runs a place. His brother is in charge of all the opiates. 93% of the world's 
uh, opiates, which is made into uh, morphine in one step and heroin into the second step. Poor country. People have zero money, basically enough food, and yet they supply in this one country 93% of the world's opiates and heroin. Ask yourself, what are we doing there? And the Afghan policeman shoots and kills six American soldiers during a training exercise today. See, the government may not even list this because they list it as uh, non-combat related, a friendly fire, these kind of things that uh, aren't and never were, never will be. There is no friendly fire that takes the lives of Americans. The total number of American GIs killed in Afghanistan to this date, 1,411. Aren't you getting just a little bit angry? Don't we just want to see this stop? You see these great tunnels that are being dug underneath the, the border from Mexico to America. You see 40 tons of marijuana uh, seized, all of this stuff. I mean, millions and millions and tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. We're not worried about illegal aliens making a minimum wage over here in America. We've got these drug cartels that uh, control cities. They make these tunnels. We don't have the people. We've been uh, able to discover two of them. I mean, how many does that mean that there are? We need to be guarding our borders. And we certainly don't need to be guarding Karzai. The U.S. State Department cable describes President Hamid Karzai as, quote, extremely weak and conspiracy proof. Uh, well, it's, to me, we don't like Karzai. Karzai doesn't like us. They call him conspiracy proven, where uh, you know he's involved with the Taliban. Uh, of course, he's involved with the Pakistani. These are all Muslims, and England and America are there. And uh, when you look at the Taliban, which we forced out. There was no measurable opium during the period that the Taliban was in charge. That was after we got the Russians out. We didn't want Afghanistan going back into a broken, fractured tribal system. So Pakistan and America arranged for this uh, government of priests, this theocracy, to take over so that the uh, warlords wouldn't go back and fracture Afghanistan. 
Well, they did. Uh, opium isn't part of the Quran, so there wasn't anybody growing it. Now that we've kicked the Taliban out, 8,400 tons. This is stuff that makes heroin. It's not marijuana. I just talked to a young man last night, a Marine, going back to Afghanistan for the second trip. There's a young soldier that I was just at his wedding that I uh, received an entry on my Facebook. This is his third trip. Friends, this is harm's way. I wish you would, if you could, I want you to send me email. I need your email that justifies 1,411 Americans dead as of today in Afghanistan now. We have, they agree that there is no al-Qaeda left. That's Saudi Arabian uh, inspired and backed. You know that on 9-11, most, uh, all but four of the bombers on 9-11 were Saudis. And the, the Saudi country supplied not only uh, all, all but four of the terrorists for 9-11, but like Osama bin Laden, uh, they uh, are behind al-Qaeda, the base in the language, is what al-Qaeda means. And it, now they have relocated to Yemen and intercepted uh, secret messages that our military has sent and the State Department has sent reveals that the United States is bombing Yemen and blaming it on Yemen bombing Yemen. I mean, this is so doesn't make any sense that uh, we need to stop this. If we are, uh, and I don't know why we do this for Great Britain. We broke away from Great Britain. 1773, we had the Boston Tea Party. No taxation without representation. 1775, King George III tries to disarm Americans. Now, that didn't work at all. We sent uh, 800 of them reinforced uh, Hessians uh, running back to the boats. We chased them all the way from Lexington and Concord. Uh, to they, they had to go to Greenland and uh, went her over. We didn't see them uh, for a while until they came back into New York, a little further to the south. We didn't like 1776. We, of course, signed our Declaration of Independence. We fought hard. Now, in my stay, 
of 22 years in the military, eight years in the intelligence service, you all you see, for some reason, we're still genuflecting uh, to the Blue Bloods over in Great Britain. We are putting our young men in harm's way. Look, for example, at Iraq. Iraq is, Great Britain is in Kuwait. They are cross-drilling across the border into Iraq. Saddam Hussein calls in April Glaspie, the U.S. ambassador, and says, what will America do if we can't get British petroleum to stop the cross-drilling? And we have to use a military solution. April Glaspie tells Saddam Hussein, America has no interest in your Arab-to-Arab problems. We set Saddam Hussein up just as soon, because he said, well, I'm going to try one more time diplomatically, and if they won't stop cross-drilling, then we are going to use a military solution. He tries British Petroleum, which is what they say BP means beyond petroleum in America, it's the green and yellow logo. That's a lie. That's British petroleum. And everywhere, before the Shaw, we are, are representing Great Britain and British petroleum. In Iraq, they're cross-drilling. We go and take over the country so Great Britain can have access, British petroleum can have access uh, to one of the world's largest oil resources. But yet we keep paying more and more for gasoline. And do we forget that everything that comes to us comes via a diesel transport? And yet diesel fuel, which is much cheaper, much more simpler to uh, change to diesel from crude oil pumped out of the ground, and yet it is higher than uh, the premium gasoline, which has anti-detonation properties. They put stuff in so the gasoline is actually defanged a little bit. That way it doesn't uh, pre-detonate before the pistons reach uh, top dead center. And you don't have that knocking. If you have knocking in your engine, that means that you're using gasoline that is uh, below the octane rating that you should have. It needs an additive. But you pay for that additive. That is the difference between regular and super. We used to call her Ethel. Now, in Iraq the death toll of American military is 4,429. So when you put it together that you cannot explain to me, and so if you can't explain it to me, why don't we present it before our lame duck Congress? Why don't we present it before the people we have elected to represent us in this coming year, I have a new Congress. Let's ask them, can you tell us? And if you can't, 
then we want you to bring our soldiers home now before it's 6,000 American dead, before it's 50,000 American dead. For what? Tell us. For what? Now, Obama says that he is going to freeze all federal pay for two years. Well, we already, as far as I know, have you, Social Security guys, let's check on you. Have we gotten a raise in Social Security in the last two years? I don't think so. But now you see that what's happened, military uh, soldiers, because they are fighting this war in the Middle East, and we're, we keep pumping this thing, you know, to get ourselves in deeper. Uh, is so that we ingratiate ourselves to don't don't forget Israel here, and we keep uh, threatening Ahmadinejad for Israel because of the possible maybe a nuclear threat there that could be uh, a threat to Israel, and so. You'd think that, yeah, we'd keep on uh, paying our soldiers. But today, uh, Obama's not appearing much on camera since he had 12 stitches put in his lip, uh, which he got from one of his Mexican uh, representatives. You know, all these guys meet that are in the special interest group, all these lobbies, they come together and they play basketball with Obama, and they were over at Fort McNear which is over uh, on the east side of Washington, uh, the uh, southeast side of Washington District of Criminals. And they're over there playing basketball, and Obama is trying to keep the Mexican from making a shot, and the Mexican, as he comes down, his elbow drives in to Obama's mouth, and they put 12 stitches. Now, they probably give Obama more stitches than they'd give you or me. But nevertheless, you know he's got to have a fatter lip than normal with 12 stitches in it. But it hasn't kept him from talking because today, Obama says, he has decided that he is going to limit federal spending and that if he's limiting federal spending, the punishment is that all federal wage earners have to pay. They have to share. And so he's not going to give, he's freezing all federal uh, wage earners. Anybody gets a federal check, it's going to be froze uh, for the next two years, as if we were going to get anything uh, anyway. And so... Pretty interesting. By the way, today is Cyber Monday. And, of course, these are all commercially driven, created names. You know, it's like Secretary's Day. And they've got a, they have something that Hallmark can sell you a card for just about everything. But what is surprising is that uh, it is, by their polls, it totals 106 
million Americans are cyber shopping today because today is Cyber Monday. Well, do you know how many taxpayers we have in America? If you listen to this call, Freedom Call, you know because I tell you almost every day I'll give you statistics. There's 110 million taxpayers in America. 106 million of them are cyber shopping. They went further and said that during their lunch hour, as you go across the United States, uh, that one-hour period, there will be 70 million Americans cyber shopping during that period. The government employees are cyber shopping uh, as part of their uh, being at work. And what are they shopping for? Well, you know what the largest number of things being sold by these uh, shoppers on Black Monday and, uh, or rather, Cyber Monday and Black Friday? Plasma televisions. Now, tell me there's something you need. Uh, LCDs, whatever that is. Digital cameras. Electronic games. And these uh, Apple iPhones. Oh, all of these very necessary. <laughs> now, you know, being in an older, uh, there's a generation gap. It would be a total uh, misdirection of money to give me an Apple iPhone. Because that thing uh, is probably got more brains electronic cells in Einstein had brain cells. And I don't know how to access my brain cells don't connect with whatever Apple's got there. And plasma television? Geez, I'm still amazed at just big screen and color. And all these digital cameras and electronic toys and this is not for children. <laughs> you know, these, these kind of things that I'm talking about are for adults. By the way, interestingly enough, Willie Nelson, 77 years young, arrested today in Texas for possession of the devil weed marijuana. Now, he was arrested, been arrested twice before. The last time was in 2006. So Willie Nelson may actually be headed to prison because of his current being arrested today uh, for having uh, like six, I think it was uh, quite a lot, more than you can stick at your mouth in one time, and uh, he may be headed to prison now. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a little bit of a break and give all of you a chance to think some of these things over. We'll be right back with uh, American Voice Radio's Freedom Call in just a couple of minutes. Stay right where you are.
around for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. The U.S. dollar is fluctuating. Gasoline reserves are low and the price is rising. World events are at best uncertain. How would you fare a stock market crash, hyperinflation, or an overall economic collapse? What would you do if you woke up and the U.S. dollar had the buying power of a penny? Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN for a free 21-page report explaining the current economic dangers and how you can take steps to protect yourself and family. Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN. That's 1-800-289-2646. 1-800-289-2646. To learn how you can become prepared, call 1-800-289-2646 and mention you heard it on the American Voice Radio Network. Radio, Frank Steffen, uh, coming uh, out of Oregon, is uh, the owner-operator of American Voice Radio, and a very popular 
radio network, if you look and see uh, where in the scale American Voice Radio falls uh, when compared to uh, similar networks, like, you know, you've got Fox and CNN, and they're always talking about how they're the best and this and that and other thing. On individual programming uh, basis, American Voice Radio does quite well because Americans want to hear the truth. Uh, they don't want to be bombarded uh, by commercials, and uh, they don't want to, I think, to always see uh, creative, uh, funny uh, personalities. They want to uh, understand what is going on? Who is behind it? What can we do uh, to change it? And that's why American Voice uh, stands uh, high in uh, the rankings as a network and why American uh, Voice uh, hosts also don't do badly uh, as compared uh, to the Dr. Laura's and the Hannity's and you know, these people that uh, make millions, the O'Reilly's make millions of dollars. So uh, you can. We affectionately uh, refer to uh, Frank, who's a veteran of the United States Army, uh, as being barnyard radio. Uh, but uh, he has successfully <laughs> harnessed the, has the know-how. He uses uh, satellite uh, technology. And uh, he's gotten me uh, weaned away from uh, these electronic uh, boards with wires and knobs and and uh, things you can twist and turn. And uh, we're using a very uh, simple system that you can uh, get off of uh, these little notebooks. Matter of fact, my daughter, when I went to China, to visit her, she bought me a little uh, thing uh, uh, that uh, is called an Acer, and uh, it's probably about eight inches uh, square. It has a keyboard on it. It you put the whole internet on there, but there's also a thing called Skype. Skype. Now this little Acer has a camera, and uh, when you uh, select Skype. It'll ask you whether you want to use a telephone contact uh, where, or whether you want to use telephone and uh, the camera, video. And I actually can talk to my daughter, Melody, when she is uh, in Morocco, when she is uh, in Macau, when she is in uh, Cambodia, uh, I haven't got a hold of her since she's been in truck for the last uh, couple of days. But uh, there she is. There's her face. And she can see me as ugly as I am. And you're speaking to her, and it's free. I don't know how Al Gore does it. Now, there's a lot of people looking for Al Gore. His wife, Tipper, is trying to divorce him, but nobody can find him. Uh, you know, Al... Uh, they ought to, I mean, they gave the Nobel Peace Prize uh, to Obama for what he was going to do. So far, he hasn't done anything that I see that uh, would even rate uh, a meritorious service medal. 
Uh, but, you know, that's me. At any rate, uh, this technology, this is one thing that uh, is incredible. And uh, so in the professional radio business, for free, I can broadcast over this tiny little made-in-China notebook over this Skype system, and you can hear me with the fidelity uh, even better, Frank says, than if it was coming over uh, really expensive equipment. And you can use it to talk to your family. And if they have a Skype system, then uh, they can have the camera on and you see them. Uh, they better be dressed because you're going to see them uh, just like little cameras in the top of the lid, uh, the little Acer. And these things are less than $300. And that has been over a year ago that Melody, I went to China. I only got to see her for three days. Then she had to leave. <laughs> Gosh. Left Michael, my son, and I in China. We had to go ahead, before we get a flight back, we had to spend an extra couple of days. And so Mel is definitely a gold trotter. But as long as that Skype is there, I can talk to you now uh, over Skype, and uh, the costs are considerably reduced. So there are some good things. I think Al Gore, I think you know how God's equity is, giving Al Gore an Emmy and an Oscar, and uh, I think he did win a Nobel Prize. He actually won the presidential election. He had more popular votes, uh, but with our Supreme Court and uh, and Bush's brother, <laughs> the governor of uh, the great state of Florida, somehow it worked out where Al Gore, uh, while, and this happened uh, once or twice in the United States in our history, where the candidate that receives the most votes loses. And that was the case Al Gore. So I think Al Gore, uh, you know, some people are probably after him about global warming. Uh, but uh, it's going to be, you know, the problem is if Al Gore is right about global warming, uh, there's a lot of people going to know about it. It'll be pretty obvious. Uh, when enough stuff melts uh, to where the sea rises, and you got a lot of these cities that are beautiful, they're right on the seashore. Bangkok is an example. Now, I wouldn't go to Bangkok. I told uh, Pupfish Melody, I said, don't go to Bangkok. Go to Chiang Mai, which is up north in Thailand on the Burma-China border. And if Kunsaw was still alive, I'd have had uh, him send a horse for her, and she could have spent some time out in the Golden Triangle at the Tiger Camp. I trust Kunsaw more than I would uh, trust most of these uh, congressional people in Washington, D.C. with my daughter. But Bangkok actually is a sinking city, and uh, it's going to sink into the sea uh, whether or not <laughs> uh, the global warming comes or goes. Anyway, uh, I want to—I I don't know if Al Gore invented the internet. You know, he said he did, but you know how 
Uh, it's that's why it's kind of fun to have a buffoon uh, in the White House. It's just, you know, what is is the worst case is having. Uh, you might say, well, the Republicans are a bunch of connivers. You know, they're a bunch of uh, uh, criminals. Yes, that's true. They're smart. They have the best and the brightest up there, and they're uh, you know, always trying to circumvent the Constitution for an ocean of cash that lets them bypass Congress. That's true. Well, uh, then you've got the Jimmy Carters. Now, he was just funny with his brother, Billy Beer, and loans from Libya, all this kind of stuff. But then you get the guys that are both crooks and buffoons, and it's not funny anymore, <laughs> like Obama. You know, and Obama, see, the dumbest thing I've ever heard of is when Obama said he had the answer to, to uh, reducing his deficit. And that was all the GIs were going to have to buy Blue Shield uh, insurance and take care of their own wounds in combat and stuff like this. Now, that, those are, and this was Rahm Emanuel, which, by the way, you know, he quit uh, the White House and he ran off to Chicago because uh, he wanted to be mayor. And he figured, well, Obama became senator you know, all part of the daily um, political machine. And uh, the daily boy isn't going to run uh, for mayor. Uh, he's, uh, I guess, completed all he can stand. And so Rahm Emanuel, he was just prancing up there to take over. But according to the law, he has to have lived in Chicago, which he hasn't done. <laughs> So uh, to be eligible, well, Obama, he don't even have a birth certificate. So Ron Emanuel is supposed to be one of the smart guys, but it looks like that he is not going to be able to be the mayor of Chicago. And he's already run off from the White House. That's not to say that Obama won't uh, you know, make him one of the czars or something uh, for something or other. Okay, I wanted to mention to you, uh, it is very disappointed, but it makes a point that I have been making on uh, Freedom Call for a long time, and that is this. We need to start profiling in America. Listen, if we found out that ducks uh, were passing some kind uh, of pandemic disease, kind of like cholera has killed over 3,000 people now in Haiti. Don't go to Haiti. The doctors going to Haiti are coming down with cholera. The ones that are there trying to help the Haitians. And the Haitians, you know, we've helped them, literally, with uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you look at Port-au-Prince, which is the capital of Haiti, and remember, Haiti hooks on to Dominican Republic. That's an island between the two countries. You find that they have the same devastation uh, from the earthquake at Port-au-Prince as uh, was there over a year ago. And all this money, so where does it go? 
Well, the place is corrupt. So people are still living in tent cities. Uh, crime is still uh, ravaging the country as these gangs uh, rove from one tent city to another, raping, pillaging, burning, taking what they will. I don't think it's a good idea. I have people that I'm very close to who love Haiti and want to help Haiti, but you need to look at the history of Haiti. It is the first and oldest African transplant colony, uh, as far as we know, uh, in this part of the world. Haiti uh, got its independence way back at the beginning of the 19th century. And one of the first things they did was purge all the white people. Then they found out they wouldn't do them too good uh, on their own. And Haiti, remember Papa Doc? <laughs> Some of these other infamous uh, people. Well, I think that uh, that Haiti will, when they see that there is no more uh, free aid, money, food, uh, this doesn't get into the hands of the people. It gets into the hands of these dealers that use it under the black market. Uh, I remember this has been months and months ago after the catastrophic event that just knocked out Port-au-Prince, which is right on the right on the the seacoast, and that is they had this uh, help for the children, and here's all this money pouring in, and there wasn't a single child <laughs> that uh, when the reporter went in there uh, with the news cameras. Uh, and said, where are all the children? Well, they hadn't taken in a single child, just the money. So be careful. Uh, I, and my whole point is this. Islam uh, is okay as a religion. I've read the Holy Quran. I've been an advisor in Saudi Arabia. I lived in Jeddah which I'd rather live in an ancient city like Jeddah on the Red Sea. I mean, that's exciting to me, uh, rather than living in Riyadh, uh, which is in the middle of the desert, uh, and, you know, the capital. And so I see uh, those people. They have a heart. Uh, the Sauds, are, uh, they don't do much themselves if it has to do with labor, they hire foreigners to do it. But uh, the fact is, is that by itself, in the way that it's presented in the Quran, Islam is fine. The way that radical groups interpret the Quran produces people like this... Uh, American citizen, Muhammad Muhammad, who is 19 years young, and he wants uh, to bomb uh, the Christmas tree lighting in Portland, Oregon, where he would kill, hopefully, he said, scores of parents and children who were there in Portland on Friday night to light up 
of a Christmas tree. Now, praise God. The FBI has been doing a decent job of uh, acting as a magnet uh, for these uh, young Americans who would be jihadists. Now, Muhammad, uh, who is in court today, and we'll know more by the program tomorrow, uh, he needs to be without bail. Uh, His intent, and you know, under God's judgment, it's not what happens. It's what you intended. And what Muhammad intended to do, he wanted to kill a lot of children and a lot of parents there in Portland, Oregon. And so the FBI, undercover, uh, supplied uh, him with explosives and with a truck. And he thought he was driving a truck full of explosives. And, of course, uh, it's like the other things. The underwear bomber, the tennis shoe bomber, the guy who parks his car downtown uh, New York City bomber. Uh, They don't go off. And, praise God, the reason they're not going off is because whoever is teaching bomb school is leaving out like a major step in the production of an explosive device. Well, we used to train, and it's so simple. You take modeling clay, for example. Modeling clay makes a, a perfect look-alike for plastic explosive. Now, plastic explosive comes, C4 comes in like a 2.5-inch by 2.5-inch block. But you can have this, this modeling clay made up exactly like that. You can put it in a plastic container. Uh, you can let um, uh, people like Muhammad uh, see you take a knife and cut this stuff out and take the, uh, the plastic explosives. TNT, it is a hard, green-covered explosive. It's a military explosive. You use two-by-twos. And uh, you cut them uh, in one-foot lengths, and they look exactly uh, like TNT. You can drill a hole in the end. And uh, what do you use uh, for detonating cord? You use clothesline, plastic clothesline, white. It's a perfect. uh, You put them side by side, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. And for blasting caps, uh, you can use things like, uh, well, aluminum tubing. And you just uh, saw off the aluminum tubing. Uh, you make it about uh, two and a half, three inches. Looks like a special military blasting cap. You crimp it on to uh, a, a piece of uh, a plastic clothesline. Looks like you've just crimped it on the detonating cord. You wrap that around uh, two-by-twos that are painted green, or uh, you can have a a whole crate full of of, uh, modeling clay. And you put it together so that if it were explosives, then it would go off. And these guys that don't know, like uh, Mohammed, 
19 years old. He wants to drive this truck into a Christmas tree lighting in Portland, Oregon. What do you do with this kind of person? God be praised. There is some profiling going on because the FBI has been successful time after time after time in attracting these people to where they will uh, come, they will become engaged, they will state their intentions. You can right under their nose use things that will not detonate. And yet they don't know that. And then you catch them. And so I personally, I mean, we... In the airports, we don't need to be taking the old ladies, the young children, uh, the, the old men that are Americans, obviously, that are on local flights and putting them through this hell uh, that they have now in going through the airport TSA security. What we do is profile. We pick out those people who look like a duck, walk like a duck, quack like a duck, and we do uh, a short little interview. We note their body language called kinesiology. We look at their eyes. Little bit of training, little bit of education. You can't just hire a bunch of minorities and give them all gold badges and think that, boy, look at how many jobs uh, now the White House can claim. You have to have people who have a little education that can be educated that will do this kind of a job as a federal agent. And once you have, uh, you look them first. Secondly, you have uh, spoken to them. You have, in the meantime, drawn down their dossier. And... Uh, the next thing you know, you can run them through the body scanners and the pat-downs. But the other people, you let them go on through. All right. Anyway, uh, I wanted you to know about uh, this 19-year-old, Portland, Oregon. I know people up there, and to think that this guy, for children and adults, it would go to a Christmas tree lighting, and that was his target. He needs to have his trial right there in Portland. He needs to be in jail until his trial. And then he needs to find out that it is your intent that really counts. All right. Uh, there's something that I'd like to just inform you of. I know that uh, we're going to have to leave you here in just a minute or two. But uh, they have uh, this Westboro Baptist Church. That isn't like any Baptist church that I've ever heard of. It protests at the burial of American GIs killed in combat. And they do such a profane and awful demonstration that uh, little towns and places that know that they're coming, the people uh, will boycott them. The people will plan to uh, form in such a way that the uh, Westboro Baptist Church uh, is illegal in how they would uh, protest by 
praising God for killing uh, young Americans that we send overseas. And so Jesse Snow, a young American, killed in action. Fighting soldiers. Uh, due to be buried today, Westboro Baptist Church, uh, due to protest. Let's hope they all fall in a tar pit. A lot of things going on. I'll pick it up with you on uh, on Tuesday. Please stay where you are with American Voice Radio now, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three win the Green Beret. Train to live off nature's land, trained in combat hand to hand. Men who fight. By night and day, courage takes. Ancient prophetic texts warn us that in the last days there will be wars and rumors of war, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in many places, and troublesome times, men fainting from fear from what is coming upon the earth. Even though these words were penned almost 2,000 years ago, we can readily see that this dire warning is applicable in the days in which we are living in now. Days of Chaos, a new book by L.A. Marzulli, exposes what is happening in the Middle East, the Fukushima disaster, the mysterious animal and fish die-off, the rise of the 8.0 and greater earthquake, the coming one world government, the collapse of the U.S. dollar, UFO activity, and so much more. Days of Chaos has the information you need in these troublesome times. Don't be afraid of these events. Come to an understanding of why they are happening as they were prophesied long ago. These are the Days of Chaos. Go to www.lamarzuli.net www.lamarzuli.net These are the Days of Chaos. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere 
with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Today is Monday, November 30th, 2015. It is the 3 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. If you're listening to some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust your clocks accordingly so you can be in sync with the host here. I know that sounds really uh, uh, conceited of me, but, you know, it's true. What can I say? Anyway, seriously, gang, this is a live call-in show. Calling in is not mandatory. Thinking, however, is, of course, we still give that exemption to those members of Media Matters and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, and by the way, I found out that, uh, that uh, there's some people in the Southern Poverty Law Center that are really, really upset with me bringing them up every single week like this. I have only one thing to say. Aww. Anyway, gang, if you'd like to... Uh, oh, and, and of course, those government agents that are paid to listen to this show also. Sorry, I almost distracted myself. And the... I did distract myself. Anyway, government agents, uh, because after all, there we go, we would not want to create a hostile work environment for them. So that's why we don't require them to think. If you would like to call in, it's real simple. 1-800-932-1980 is the number. We do have... Yahoo Instant Messenger up and operating, the same ID that's been forever, KC7AQK. As is our want, we like to open up this show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy, quote, Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States, where men were free, end quote. You know, we need to be reminded of this all the time. Because we forget what President Reagan meant, which is why what he said is true. So, 
pay attention to today's stories as they illustrate his point perfectly. And speaking of today's stories, we got 25 pages in the show newsletter, your calls, instant messages, and whatever else happens to come across the transom, and we will get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit in to any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. And welcome back to the show. I hope everyone out there had a peaceful and productive and hopefully family-oriented Thanksgiving this past week. Unfortunately, your host um, came down with something, and I don't know what the heck it was, but it kept me either on the toilet or in bed from Tuesday night through Saturday morning. And um, I came to find out that uh, at least two, three other people that I know of in this town had similar effects, and each of them knew three to five other people that were also in similar straits. So it was something going around this town that uh, caused um, rather interesting um, gastrological events uh, uh, amongst people here in this town. But I shall digress and stop from that and remind you that my job is very simple. It is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. And I do it by asking questions. In fact, uh, today's show is going to be full of those questions. So pay attention, my friends. But you can only continue to get this if you do something that 99.99% of you don't do. Support the show and the network. It's real simple. If you need if you need instruction, if you need help doing it, well, contact me. I'll tell you how to do it. Uh, my Skype is nine seven one two seven zero two zero three three. I've told you this before, but please keep in mind I'm on the left coast out here, and please keep in mind that I really only like to take calls like between eleven in the morning and four-ish or so in the afternoon, Tuesday through Friday, and only about 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays. So keep that in mind, please, and I'll tell you how you can support this show. Okay, today is a fifth Monday, so I decided I'm going to try something different. So from now on, Fifth Mondays, I'm going to save those oddball stories, the ones that just don't fit in with the narrative I want to present. And yes, I admit, I have a narrative myself, but at least I'm honest about it. These are stories that are important, but like I said, they don't 
fit in elsewhere, and I didn't want to just dump them in the links of interest. So, the first one, Mexican immigration policies. Discover the Networks examines the immigration policies of Mexico. Though that nation's government has long criticized the United States' effort to curtail the heavy northward flow of Mexican illegals, Mexico itself takes a hard line against those who would violate its immigration laws. As Professor Michael Waller of the Institute of World Politics points out, Mexico deports more illegal aliens than the United States does, and under Mexican law, it's a felony to be an illegal alien residing anywhere in the country, and Mexican immigration authorities keep detailed records of all foreign visitors. So uh, with that in mind, my friends, uh, when we hear stories about, like recently, about that guy who was uh, found down in Mexico uh, living there for a long, long time on, a, uh, on the lam for a murder rap in, like, North Dakota or something... The Mexicans knew he was there, okay? He just had the money to stay there, okay? But anyway, these visitors are explicitly banned from interfering with the nation's internal politics, and those who enter the country under false pretenses, i.e. with fake papers, are summarily incarcerated or deported, and those who aid in illegal immigration are also sent to prison. Of course, all of this is mitigated, again, by how much money you can spread around down there. But nonetheless... Mexico official law only allows foreigners who will be useful to Mexican society. And according to the nation's central immigration laws, yes, my friends, I've shared this, some of this, much of this with you in the past, but it's a good review. So here we go. Foreigners are admitted in Mexico, quote, according to their possibilities of contributing to national progress, end quote. Immigration officials must, quote, ensure that immigrants will not only be useful additions to Mexico, but they have the necessary funds to sustain themselves and their dependents. Next, foreigners may be barred from the country if their presence upsets, quote, the equilibrium of the national demographics, end quote. If they are deemed to be detrimental, quote, to economic or national interests, end quote. If they have broken Mexican laws, and if they are found not to be, quote, physically or mentally healthy, end quote. And finally, the Secretary of Governance may, quote, suspend or prohibit the admission of foreigners if he determines such actions to be in the national interest, end quote. Now... Mexican guards at the Guatemalan border, the locale for most attempts at illegal entry, are notorious for the brutality of their treatment of would-be immigrants. The guards' use of violence, rape, and extortion against those seeking to cross into Mexico has, in fact, managed the border so well that the country only has a minimal illegal immigration problem. Keep this in mind, my friends, because I'm going to address this in just a few moments. Though Mexico has condemned Americans' construction of a border fence designed to prevent illegals from immigrating northward into the U.S., a September 2010 
it was reported that the Mexican government was building a wall within the state of Chiapas along the Mexican-Guatemala border to stop contraband from coming into Mexico. And they're also notorious for their aggressive efforts to promote the illegal immigration of its own citizens into the United States. As Manhattan Institute scholar Heather McDonald observes, Mexican officials in the U.S. and abroad are, are involved in a massive and almost daily effort to facilitate the passage of Mexicans into the United States in violation of American immigration law and to subsequently normalize their status as quickly as possible. So toward that end, Mexico publishes a comic book style guide, the Gaia del Migrante Mexico, which is the guide for the Mexican immigrant, offering practical advice on how to breach the U.S. border safely and evade detection once across. And this publication is distributed by Mexico's foreign ministry and the Mexican consulates and is also available online. Mexico consuls characterize virtually any U.S. immigration law enforcement efforts against illegal immigrants as discriminatory and inhumane. Moreover, they have advanced a disparate impact theory, maintaining that police actions, whatever their context, are invalid if they fall disproportionately upon illegal Mexicans. So, in November 2004, Arizona voters passed that Proposition 200, which required proof of citizenship as a prerequisite for voting or for receiving certain welfare benefits over the loud protests of the Mexican Consul General in Phoenix. And after the law passed, Mexico's foreign minister threatened to file suit in international tribunals for this allegedly egregious human rights violation. And in a similar vein... The Phoenix Consulate supported the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund's federal lawsuit against Prop 200. Well, in May 2005, Congress passed the Real ID Act, which stipulated that driver's licenses issued to illegal aliens were inadmissible for aircraft boarding and at federal security checkpoints. So, Mexican's internal minister, Santiago Creole, described the law as absurd and not understandable in the light of any criteria. So, two months later, Mexico's foreign minister, Jorge Castanana, told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that his country would only cooperate with the U.S. on future security matters if America granted amnesty to its illegal aliens. So... My friends, keep all of this in mind, because remember what happened after all of these little events, which this story doesn't bring up, but it's what brought up into my mind, which is why I wanted to share it with you. Remember those long trains of Guatemalan and other south of the Mexico refugee children arriving in the United States. If all of these things about Mexico, about the, you know, they're, they're building this wall and they don't allow immigration, etc. If all of this is their, their policy, why did they allow these train loads of children to go through? Why? It was all deliberately contrived and supported by the government in violation of their own laws, my friends, simply to try and destabilize the United States. And look what havoc, 
havoc gets wrecked, my friends. And now you have the rest of the story. Okay, something to think about. Next, again, a fifth Monday idea, new DOJ statistics on race and violent crime. Well, the numbers from the DOJ are finally including Hispanic as an offender category, and Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute has just published a table of statistics on race and violent crime that she received from the Department of Justice, and for the first time in figures of this kind, they're treating Hispanics as that separate category rather than lumping them in with whites. So... The data covers all violent crimes except murder, but the number of murders is tiny compared to all other violent crimes. So, there's a table that's presented here. Obviously, I can't read the table to you, but the table can be used for a number of interesting calculations. First off, you find that during the 2012-2013 period, blacks committed an average of over half a million violent crimes against whites, whereas whites only committed 99,000 such crimes against blacks. What this means is that blacks were the attackers in 84.9% of violent crimes involving blacks and whites. This figure is consistent with reports from 2008. Interesting, the last year the DOJ released similar statistics, and not coincidentally, that was the year B.O. was elected president. Hmm. Interestingly, we find that the violent interracial crime involving blacks and Hispanics occurs at almost exactly the same proportions as black-on-white crime. Blacks are the attackers 82.5% of the time, while Hispanics are attackers only 17.5% of the time. Are you getting the picture here, my friends? Hopefully you are. Some observers argue that what causes the overwhelming preponderance of black-on-white over white-on-black violence is the chance-of-encounter theory, which they say is due to the fact that there are five times as many whites as black in the American population. However, there's only about 30% more Hispanics than blacks, yet black-on-Hispanic violence is almost as lopsided as black-on-white violence. This suggests that blacks may be deliberately targeting both whites and Hispanics. Using figures for the 2013 racial mix of the population, 62.2% white, 17.1% Hispanic, 13.2% black, we can calculate the average likelihood of person of each race attacking the other, that is, a black is 27 times more likely to attack a white and 8 times more likely to attack a Hispanic than any other than the other way around and a Hispanic is 8 times more likely to attack a white than vice versa and we can calculate how often criminals of each group choose victims of the races so anyway my friends the thing is is that there's much media agonizing as you have probably heard over black-on-black -black violence, but these figures show that only 40% of the victims of black violence are black, while people of other races account for nearly 60% of the victims of black violence. And the change in the DOJ 
reporting to consider Hispanics as a separate category? Well, the American Renaissance Institute pointed out 16 years ago the incoherence of failing to account for Hispanics as offenders, and the DOJ has long counted Hispanics as a victim category in its hate crime reports. Well, it'll be interesting to see their inclusions as a perpetrator in that category. Now, why the DOJ numbers in this are so bogus? That's the end of one point here, my friends. Now I want to point out why the DOJ numbers are just absolutely bogus. Now, we know, because we hear about it all the time, about black-on-black crime happening every single day. Well, that is, those of us that are paying attention... It, and in every single city, but you know we got to we got to be quiet about it. After all, the left doesn't want to talk about it because they're too worried about the nonsensical issues. Well, there's a great meme out there, my friends, and it just sums all this up so well. And it's the guy with the the eyes closed. You know, he's he's like looking. He's like, hmm. You know, this is highly, highly suspicious look on his face and says, if black lives matter, why do so many of you kill each other? Well, let's examine why those DOJ numbers are so false. And I'll give you a little hint, my friends. Actually, I'm going to tell you right out. The reason is, is that The DOJ numbers, unlike FBI numbers and other such numbers like CDC and and other places, all these numbers the DOJ presents are just straight numbers, whereas everyone else does it on a per capita basis. Now when we look at things on a per capita basis, the picture becomes even worse than before. Here's why. Okay, straight numbers. White on black, 62,595 in 2010. Okay, we're all we're going to focus on just one year, 2010, okay? But meanwhile, the flip of that, black on white, 320,082 Violent crimes. This is not counting murder, my friends, just violent crimes. So, with these numbers, blacks commit five times more violence against whites than whites do against blacks, but this figure is misleading. And again, the per capita issue comes out because there's 197 million non-Hispanic whites in America making up that 63% of 0.7% of the population but there's 38 million blacks making up only 12.6% of the population 38 million I should have said if I didn't so what this means is when adjusted for population size comparing white on black to Black on white, it's actually 25 times more violent assaults. Yes. And when it comes to a specific kind of assault, aggravated assault, it's 200 times greater. Yes. 
so there is an epidemic of racial tensions and violence in this country or actually the question is being asked excuse me I'm, I, mis, I misread here so the question is being asked is there an epidemic of racial tension and violence in this country against blacks I don't know you tell me when the numbers are like this you know you know, 25 times greater of black on white uh, for just all most violent assaults and 200 times greater uh, black on white for aggravated assault. Hmm. You know, you tell me, my friends, you know, what do you think? <laughs> when you look at it, like I said, in a per capita basis, where you're comparing apples to apples, all of a sudden the picture becomes much, much more interesting. But noticing this, my friends, and mentioning it will instantly get you labeled as a racist because you took note that there's a proportional difference and that proportional difference is really ugly, my friends. Yeah. Okay. Um, when we come back from the upcoming break, just some of the upcoming hits that are going to come out here, I'm going to share with you from Ben Shapiro on why the Islamic State will not be defeated, and even if it was, how we would still lose. A very interesting piece from Ben Shapiro. And... I'm going to be sharing with you how uh, a certain gentleman exposes exactly why he votes as a Democrat. Okay, it's, it's a top ten list, my friends, and you know how I love lists, okay? And I'm going to talk about, um, well, a Senate bill. Uh, yeah, a Senate bill on the Second Amendment, my friends. I, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to give it away here. But hand-in-hand, hand, about that gun store owner that refused to serve Muslims and how that worked out for him, which in case you might not have heard about, very interesting story. And then finally, I'm going to get into how the government robs us. Yeah, you're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm your host, I'm Roy Ben Shadler, still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. And uh, as promised, a rather poignant piece from Ben Shapiro entitled, No, the Islamic State will not be defeated, and if it is, we still lose. Now, what's his point? Well, the point is very simple. 
Barack Obama has now created an unwinnable war. How? Well, while all of the 2016 candidates declare their strategy for victory against ISIS, BO's leading from behind has now entered the Middle East and the West into a free-for-all that cannot end anyway, but poorly. The best way to understand the situation in Syria is to look at the situation and motivation of the various players. All of them have varying agendas. All of them have different preferred outcomes, and few of them are on anything approaching the same page. And B.O.'s failure of leadership means that there is no global power around which to center. Let's start with, actually, my friends, I'm not going to call them anymore ISIS. Instead, I'm going to follow French president's uh, lead and call them by their English name for, for the transliteration of what they are, and that's Daesh, D-A-E-S-H, which... Um, which in Arabic happens to come back when you do the transliteration acronym happens to come back that they're uh, that they're bigots and and backwards people very interesting which uh, means that they vowed as a, on the other hand that anyone who calls them Daesh they'll cut their tongues out well if they want to cut my tongue out for calling them Daesh I'm going to take a page out of a uh, Doc Holiday I'm your Huckleberry bring it on um, and we have an instant message. What do we got here? How is following the French ever a good idea? I just said how it's a good idea. I'm going to call them Daesh. Call them what they are. Uh, anyway, you had to listen to the rest of it before you start typing there. Anyway, Daesh has gained tremendous strength since BO's entry into power and pull out from Iraq. They currently control northern Syria, boarding Turkey, as well as large portions of northern Iraq. And their goal, to consolidate their territory stranglehold and to demonstrate to their followers that they, and not other competing terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda, represent the new Islamic wave. And they have little interest in toppling Syrian dictator Bashar Assad for the moment. They do serve as a regional counterweight to the increasingly powerful Iranians, increasingly powerful because of B.O.'s big nuclear deal, as well as his complete abdication of responsibility in Iraq. Iran, speaking of Iran, wants to maximize its regional power. The rise of Daesh has allowed it to masquerade as a benevolent force in Iraq and Syria, even as it supports Assad's now routine of using chemical weapons against his adversaries, including the remnants of the Free Syrian Army. Iran has already expanded its horizons beyond Iraq and Syria and Lebanon. Now it wants to make moves into heretofore non-friendly regions like Afghanistan. Their goal in Syria, keep Bashar, Bashar, Bashar in power, their goal in Iraq, keep pushing uh, Daesh out of any resource-rich territories, but not finishing Daesh off, because that would then get rid of the global villain against which they fight, Assad himself. The growth of Daesh has allowed Assad to play the wronged victim. And while the FSA, 
um, could provide such a possible replacement for him. Daesh can't credibly do so on the international stage, so Assad knows that, thus, and knows this, and thus has little interest in completely ousting them. His main interest is in continuing to devastate the uh, hang on a second here. Continue to devastate the remaining FSA while pretending to fight the U.S. And we have an instant message. Miss D in Oregon asks a question. If we're going to go back to a constitutional country, why not support a country that supported us? Then at least verbally, now, if it wasn't for the French, would we still be called the USA? Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm taking my lead in calling ISIS Daesh anymore. I don't want to call them ISIS anymore. I want to call them what they what they detest. They, they actually detest the name, and the name fits them. So that's why I'm still that's why I'm sticking with uh, what their ideas are. But anyway, back to the other players on the table. We have the lump group of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan. And as you can see, Daesh, Iran, and Assad all have one shared interest, the continued existence of Daesh. And the same is not true, however, with regard to Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan. All of them fear the rise of the radical Sunni terrorists in their own home countries. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place, however, because openly destroying Daesh on behalf of uh, Assad, they would then embolden the Shia, their enemies. So Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan would all join into an anti-Daesh coalition in the same way they did against Saddam Hussein in 1991, but just like Hussein in 1991, they won't do it if there are no Sunni alternative available. So Tunisia, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan are at the top three sources of foreign fighters for Daesh interestingly enough. And then there is Turkey. The Turks have several goals to stop the Syrian exodus across their borders, to prevent the rise of the Iranians, and to stop the rise of the Kurds. None of these goals involves the destruction of Daesh. Turkey is Sunni. So is Daesh. Daesh provides a regional counterweight against Iran, so long as it remains viable. It also keeps the Kurds occupied in northern Iraq, preventing any threat of Kurdish consolidation across the Iran-Turkey border, and they will accept Syrian refugees so long as those two other goals remain primary, and they'll certainly do it if they can ship a hefty portion of those refugees into Europe and off their hands. And then finally, there's Russia. Russia wants to consolidate its power into the Middle East, and it has done so by wooing all the players to fight against one another. <laughs> Russia's involvement in the Middle East now looks like a good, a good deal like American involvement circa the Iran-Iraq war. They're playing both sides. Russia is building nuclear reactors in Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, and Iran. They're Bashar Assad's air force against both the FSA and Daesh. Russia's Vladimir Putin doesn't have a problem with destroying Daesh so long as doing so achieves his other goal, which is putting everyone else in his debt. He has a secondary goal that he thought he could chiefly pursue in Eastern Europe, and that's the uniting 
attempt with uniting with Ukraine, and he wants to split apart the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which he rightly sees as a counterbalance to check Russian aggression. So, thanks to today's Turkish attacks on Russian plane, and thanks to the West's hands-off policy with regard to the conflict, Putin could theoretically use his war against Daesh as a cover to bombard Turkish military targets, daring the West to get involved against him. Were he to do so, he'd set the precedence that NATO is no longer functional. Two birds, one war. And last but not least, Israel. Israel's position is the same as it has always been. Israel is surrounded by radical Islamic enemies on every side, whether Iranian-backed Hezbollah or Sunni Hamas or Daesh. Israel is the focus of all hate for all these groups. Ironically, the rise of Iran has unified Israel with its neighbors in Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. All three of those countries, however, can't stand firmly against Daesh. So, all this means that the only country capable of filling the vacuum would be the United States, just as it was in 1991. A major Sunni power is on the move against American interests, but unlike 1991, no viable option existed for leaving the current regime in power, and the U.S.'s insistence upon the help of ground allies is far too vague. Who should those allies be? Hmm? Occupying Daesh free or Daesh's land? Hmm. The Kurds have no interest in Syrian incursions. Turkish troops' movements into uh, Daesh land will prompt Iranian intervention. Iranian intervention into Daesh land would prompt higher levels of support for Sunni resistance. And Daesh land without Daesh is like Iraq without Saddam Hussein. In the absence of solidifying force, chaos breaks out. And from that chaos, the most organized force takes power. And then, of course, let's not forget, Russia hopes that it could destroy Daesh, and Assad will simply retain power, and that may be the simplest solution, although it certainly would not end the war with the country. In other words, there are no good answers. And Bio's dithering for years has led to this. Had he lent his support in any way to one side, a solution might be possible. Now it's not. So there you go, my friends. I, I hope he was able to follow that. Yes, it's convoluted. But the whole dang situation over there is convoluted. And at least this one, uh, explanation attempted to untangle the convolutions by showing the players from their own point of view. Because once you understand the point of view of the various players, all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, really? Okay, my friends. This top ten reason to vote Democrat, it's been around. It's been around for a while. You probably have heard it, but just in case you haven't heard it, it's spot on, and it's hilarious. And we need something to laugh about after that little convolution uh, report on Daesh, my friends. So here we go. Top ten reasons to vote Democrat. Number ten. 
vote Democrat because he loves the fact that he can now marry whatever he wants and he's decided to marry his German shepherd. Yep. Number nine reason that this Democrat says he's going to vote Democrat, he says he votes Democrat because he believes oil companies' profits of one half of one cent on a gallon of gas is obscene, but the government taxing that same gas at 35% isn't. Number eight, votes Democrat because he believes the government will do a better job of spending the money he earns than he would. Number seven, votes Democrat because freedom of speech is fine as long as nobody is offended by it. And number six, vote Democrat because he's way too irresponsible to own a gun and knows that local police are all he needs to protect him from murders and thieves. And he's thankful that they have a 911 service that gets police to the home in order to identify the body after a home invasion. Number five, he votes Democrat because he's not concerned about millions of babies being aborted so long as we keep all death row inmates alive and comfy. Number four, votes Democrat because he thinks illegal aliens have a right to free health care, education, and Social Security benefits, and that we should take away Social Security from those who paid into it. And number three... He votes Democrat because he believes that businesses should not be allowed to make profits for themselves. After all, they only need to break even and give the rest of the money to the government for redistribution, as the Democrat Party sees fit. And number two, votes Democrat because he believes liberal judges need to rewrite the Constitution every few days to suit the fringe kooks who would never get their agendas past the voters. And finally, the number one reason that your average Democrat voter out there votes Democrat is because they think it's better to pay billions for oil to people who hate us, but not drill our own because it might upset some endangered beetle, gopher, or fish here in America. And we don't care about the beetles, gophers, or fish in other countries. And there you go, my friends. Reasons why they don't like it. Okay, as I said, a little story about the Senate here. Now, this is from February of this year, so keep this in mind here, my friends. A Senate bill in February of this year would have taken into account the skyrocketing number of concealed carry permits over the last decade and the success of those... And the bill was entitled the Constitutional Concealed Carry Reprocity Act, and it would make a lawful handgun permit automatically valid across all United States. As the, the guy who introduced this, Senator John Corwin, Republican of Texas, said, this operates more or less like a driver's license. So, for example, if you have a driver's license in Texas, you can drive in New York and Utah and other places subject to the laws of those states, end quote. Well, alas, to the best of my knowledge, this never went through. It never went anywhere. Of, and of course, it, if it had, B.O. would have vetoed it. But the fact that there are those willing to push it through is heartwarming. But on the other hand, we have the following. Okay, and that's the story about that gun shop owner. You remember him, the gun shop owner who issued and declared his right to refuse service to Muslims. 
Well, his right to do so was upheld in court. So while the reciprocity never went anywhere, at least this court decision did. And you've got to love a win against the bullies that care. You know, the Council on American-Islamic Relationships? Yep, the Florida gun owner who made a YouTube video, as you may recall, and that's what called attention to his desire to prohibit Muslims from entering into his store. Andy Hallahan. He appeared on CNN to defend his store's policy. And uh, note, if you watch the vid, watch how they conflate the flag issues and dismiss the real security issues. But that's in the vid, which I obviously can't show you here. But a Florida gun shop owner, he was sued by CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, for declaring his store to be that Muslim-free zone. And he's been vindicated in federal court. Um, and uh, uh, last Tuesday, or Tuesday before last, U.S. District Court Judge Beth Bloom said Hillman was within his First Amendment rights to make the statement, according to the American Freedom Law Center, who represented Hallahan in the case, quote, this is this what the this what the judge said. No firearms dealer or gun range owner, for that matter, should be required to sell weapons or to train anyone that the dealer or owner has reason to believe is a terrorist threat. Care's lawsuit was an effort to prevent business owners from doing so. Yep, yep, there we go, my friends. So this dismissal was yet another AFLC. AFLC victory, yes, against CARE and its jihadi lawfare against patriotic Americans across the country. CARE was born from a jihadi terrorist conspiracy and has done little to distance itself from those bona fides. So I want to give you a little bit of good news. Okay, now on how government robs us. I have shared with you in the past about the gasoline tax issue, my friends. Well, here's a little bit of a twist to it, my friends, with a follow-up. Michael Bargo writes and says in April of last year, he noticed, and he, and he just suddenly noticed, that when you bought gasoline, the receipt doesn't list all the different taxes you have to pay. So he emailed the Illinois Policy Institute and asked them to make up a facsimile of a gas receipt and he said, here's what they came up with, and they featured it in a story on their website. So you have to go look at that receipt in the original article, because I'm not going to read it to you. But what he says is that turns out a gallon of gas in Chicago has eight taxes on it. And Park Ridge adds two cents more and such. So he went to a neighborhood gas station. The owner was a nice guy. He asked him if people get angry at him when the gas prices go up. And he says, of course they do. And he says, why don't you put a sign in the window listing all the taxes the customers are paying on a gallon of gas? He says, that's illegal in Illinois. I'd get fined and would lose my gas station. Ah, hmm. Government made it illegal to tell you how much you're paying in taxes. Well, that got your host's fertile mind roving around, and I went snooping around, and I came up with something interesting to help point out another area where the government doesn't want to know 
where it robs from you. And it's on one of my favorite subjects that I like to bring up, civil asset forfeiture. And it turns out that it's gotten worse, my friends. How much worse? It is so bad that now cops take more from you than robbers do. Yes, a new finding shows that asset forfeiture is growing attack on property rights. Yep. See, one of the most troubling scenes from Sacramento this past year came as the California state legislature reached the end of its session. That simple bill that would rein in abuses of the civil asset forfeiture process, you know, where police agencies take property from people even though they've never been accused of a crime, well, it came far short of passage, obviously, after the law enforcement lobby pulled out all the stops. The final vote was about money, not about justice. See, police organizations argued that they would lose a significant amount of funding if a law passed requiring that they secure a conviction before taking property. They often take homes, cars, and cash from people after claiming the property was used in the commission of a crime. They need only to prove the low standard of probable cause. For example, one Anaheim couple almost lost a $1.5 million commercial building after an undercover cop bought $37 in marijuana from a tenant. But the feds dropped that case after bad publicity. Yeah, that's just one example. Now, I posted this, my friends, in a constitutional group that I belong to. And someone reminded me of another story in Colorado where they, 15-plus years ago, seized an entire hotel. And then the... The, the Colorado City now keeps running that hotel, but it's a Dewey Hotel. And what they do at this Dewey Hotel, so they seize this multi-million dollar hotel under civil asset forfeiture, and they continue to run it as a hotel, but a Dewey Hotel, and that is if you want to get out of a Dewey citation conviction, agree to pay two grand a night to stay, be quote-unquote incarcerated in this Dewey Hotel, and they would let your conviction slide, or possible conviction and arrest, etc., slide if you stay in this two grand a night uh, thing and of course how long you stay in there is dependent on how much you blow and how many times you've blown in the past etc so the the more you've racked up time in there the longer you have to stay at two grand a night but you get to stay there and you get to keep your license because obviously you did this and from what um, the person reminded me of the place has been booked solid for the past 15 years. So they stole the property, multi-million dollar property, and now they're making multi-millions by offering people a way around, because that's what it is for all intents and purposes, it's a way around the Dewey Laws. Oh, you got pulled over? Here's your choice. We can arrest you now, or 
send you off to the Dewey Hotel, where it will only cost, where you'll have to stay for three, four, five nights, however many it is, at two grand a night. What's your choice? And it's full enough that they continue operating it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, this asset forfeiture, civil asset forfeiture, it was created in the days, the early days, of the nation's so-called war on drugs. And civil asset forfeiture was designed to grab the proceeds of supposed drug kingpins. Always starts out with benevolent purposes, my friends, like every other government program. Oh, this is a great idea. Look what we're going to do. We're going to take away the assets of drug kingpins. That's what we're going to do. We're only going to go after the drug kingpins and take away their assets. Well, quickly it became apparent that there were no drug kingpins to take their assets away from them and even the ones that were around didn't have much to give up and once they gave them up well it was that was it it's sort of like if you was to institute a 100% tax on all multimillionaires it would only fund the government for a couple hours and then you'd have no more multimillionaires in this country. And then what are you going to do? See, the money isn't there, my friends, just like the assets for the supposed drug kingpins weren't there. But it sure sounded good. And there's the point, my friends. It sounded good. So I will get into the nitty-gritty details of why it doesn't sound so good anymore on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. To everyone he meets, he says a stranger with every move he makes another chance to take Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead. 
meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Warning. If you're here to feel good about government, if you believe that people in office actually care about your well-being, if you believe that statutes and codes are God's gift to man, this show is not for you. If you believe NBC, CNN, Faux News, and the like actually report real news, this show is not for you. This... is a proper place where those beliefs need disposal of. So if you decide to stick around, this show will not be responsible for your mental instability. If you're brave enough to call in, this is your warning. You best bring facts to the discussion. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Today is still Monday, November 30th, 2015. It is the 4 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. And I realized that it's like, oh my goodness, this show is just flying by today. I have to admit, sometimes I try and present you things, and for one reason or another, it just seems to drag on and take forever. But today, it's like, where is it going? It's just the time is just flying for your host here. And it's, well... I guess it's because uh, I'm talking to you about things that are really, really passionate and on my mind really good, so that helps, obviously. And still, this is a live call-in show. Calling in is not necessary. Of course, uh, thinking is. And if you'd like to call in, its number is real simple, 1-800-932-1980. If you'd like to send an instant message via Yahoo Instant Messenger, the ID is the same as it's always been, KC7AQK. Now, I was talking to you, for those of you that were here in the last half hour, 
I was talking to you about how now it is official. Civil asset forfeiture is taking more from you than robbers do. And I was just getting the, the, the salient point so that when I ran out of time, and so a little bit of a history review, which I sort of started, but not really. So a little bit of history review is that the civil asset forfeiture was created, like as I said, in the days early days of the nation's war on drugs and asset forfeiture was designed, as I said, to grab the proceeds of drug kingpins, but most of the money now is grabbed from ordinary citizens. And I explained why in the last half hour. I'm not going to go through all that explanation again, okay? But most of it's grabbed from ordinary citizens. And according to a study last year, about 80% of the time, seized property is taken from people who have never been charged with anything. Charged! Not, not, you know, not convicted, just charged, my friends. 80% of the time, never even charged with anything. That same study by the Drug Policy Alliance found wanton abuse in California cities. Police are not supposed to budget forfeiture proceeds, but they increasingly depend on the revenues to fund their operations. The study also found, quote, multiple instances of cash grabs by law enforcement being incentivized over deterring drug sales, wherein police wait until a drug sale concludes and then seize the cash proceeds of the sale rather than the drugs, as the drugs must be destroyed and are of no monetary value to law enforcement, end quote. You see how that works, my friends? See, if they busted him before the sale, well, then you just had cash on you and, and you didn't do any crime yet. But if you then forked over the moolah, now all of a sudden that's the proceeds of a criminal transaction and they can get the money. Yes. Mm-hmm. So... They skew their policing strategies around the lucrative takings. California law actually requires in property seizures of more than 25 grand that the state agency gain a conviction and the legal standard requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So California law enforcement agencies don't like that higher standard. So what they do, they circumvent the state law and they participate in that equitable sharing program that I've told you about, where they invite the feds into their operation, take the property using the lower federal standard, in other words, almost non-existent standard, and then split the loot. And the feds are happy to come in, seize the property, and then turn 80% of it back over to the states, and they keep 20% for doing nothing. The new national study by the Institute of Justice of Virginia-based Civil Liberties Group gave California, uh, and this really shocks me, that they gave California a C-plus in its civil forfeiture laws. Well, that C-plus leads to an obvious question. Given the terrible problems documented in California, how bad must things be in other states for California to get a C-plus? Well, 
only seven states had better protections than California, and the preponderance of states received D grades. An economic consulting firm reported on data last week, and here we go, here's the numbers, my friends, showing that the uh, approximately four and a half billion, with a B, my friends, four and a half billion in annual forfeitures, well, it now exceeds the 3.9 billion Americans lose in robberies each year. There you go. The point is clear. Your local police or sheriff's department is more likely to take your stuff than a robber. The Institutes for Justice report found the problem is only getting worse. Quote, it's exploding despite the fact that the issue is getting a lot of attention, said Dick Carpenter, one of the study's authors. And according to the report, forfeiture revenues have more than doubled between 2002 and 2013. California agencies collected approximately $280 million over the 11-year study period and an additional 600, or, yeah, $696 million came from partnering with federal agencies. And remember, my friends... That additional $696 million, that was only 80% of what was stolen. Now, tack another 20% onto that, and that's what the feds kept for doing nothing. So, these are big dollars to local police departments, which explains the arm-twisting and lobbying as that reform bill made it to the assembly floor. Critics of asset forfeiture... Uh, agree that agencies will lose money, but argue that the government is supposed to promote justice and their agencies should be funded through general tax proceeds, not by grabbing the homes and cars of people who may not have done anything wrong. See, the problem is the incentive. The agencies that do the taking get to keep the lots of money. How can we expect just results when agencies have such a strong financial incentive to take more and more property. After all, in New Mexico, a video of a city attorney bragging that this is a gold mine, that was his words, helped build public support for wider-ranging reforms there, and as a result, the Land of Enchantment received the highest grade of the Institute for Justice study. And last year in California, SB 443 would have, among other things, prohibited, quote, state or local law enforcement agencies from transferring seized property to a federal agency seeking adoption by the federal agency of the seized property, end quote. Expect something like it to return next year. The abuses mount. Maybe legislatures will be more likely to think about justice and not just money. So there you go, my friends. It's now official. Your government is a bigger robber from you than all thieves. And I'm not talking about taxes. Oh, yeah, ta we just started talking about taxes, and now we really get into it. But, but just on the face of it, you know, you're just your personal property, your home, your car, your, your boat, you know, your, your, kids, your kids' college funds. 
Yeah, because it's in your bank, and obviously it's a, uh, you know, a fruit of your illegal activities that you engage in. But they're not going to charge you with it. Like I said, 80% of the time, never charged with anything. Hmm. Well, have you noticed something happening? I did. Liberal media seems to have lost interest in the clock kid after Islamic attacks. Did you notice that? Do you remember how the liberal media lavished that 14-year-old Ahmed Mohammed, you know, known as the clock kid, lavished him with praise and adoration after he was arrested in Irving, Texas? Remember, B.O. said, if you see something, say something. And the officials in Irving, Texas, well, they saw something, so they said something. And that's how the clock kid was arrested. Hmm. You remember that? That alleged homemade clock that there's several YouTube videos out there showing someone taking a clock off the store shelf and in less than 20 seconds making an exact replica of the kid's supposed clock he supposedly invented? Hmm. Yeah. Well, media outlets wrote article after article, as you may recall, claiming his mistreatment and proving that Islamophobia exists in America. But, as the Washington Post's Callum Borchers points out, they sure lost interest after the attacks in Europe and Muhammad's enormous lawsuit against his school. B.O. tweeted, remember, support for the clock kid, and while Tweeter eagerly verified his official account, Time named him an influential team of 2015, but that list also includes Kylie Jenner. His parents even claim the teenager experiences post-traumatic stress disorder, but somehow he managed, under post-traumatic stress disorder, to make a cross-country trip that included the White House and the United Nations. Muhammad also, despite the post-traumatic stress disorder, traveled to Saudi Arabia where authorities behead people in public and women cannot drive, and then to Sudan, whose leader, Omar al-Bashir, is wanted by the International Criminal Court. But then the situation worsened when Muhammad's family decided to accept a generous gift from the Qatar Foundation. You know, the Qatar Foundation, that, that institute that teaches how to make bombs. Interesting. Hmm. And relocate to the Islamic country... And the foundation has been accused, among other things, of funding terrorist groups such as Hamas, but also offered the teenager a full scholarship at the Doka Academy, where they do teach these things. And Borchers discovered that this same media is now mostly silent. Now that Muhammad's family is suing his former school district and Irving for over $15 million, the Washington Post reported this. Vox, which published more than a dozen stories about Muhammad in the three days after his arrest, hadn't noted the lawsuit as of Wednesday morning. Ditto for Mother Jones, which had five Muhammad articles on the day when the news of his arrest broke. Hmm. 
The huffing and puffing in post went with a single news report of the lawsuit that recapped the circumstances of Muhammad's arrest, but didn't mention the clock's appearance, the question of how it was built, or the meeting with Bashir, and there was no biting commentary on Islamophobia. Similarly, a search on the Daily Cause yielded one article about the arrest, but still made Muhammad sound like a victim, and BuzzFeed's search did not bring up an article about the arrest. The search function at Think Progress is currently down, which is rather ironic, but it's telling also. Hmm. So, speaking of Muhammad the Bomb Kid, and speaking of why our policies against Daesh, formerly known as ISIS, are all in a shambles. It begs a question. Do you know about the five wealthiest Muslim nations and about how they are refusing to take a single refugee? Yeah. We're expected to, but they're not. Remember, coexist, remember assimilation, remember religious tolerance. See, these are all foreign concepts to Muslim immigrants and Muslims living in countries who refuse to offer them refuge in their own countries. You know, Lebanon, for example, which has 1.1 million Syrian refugees, well, she shut her borders to the Syrians in June of last year. Jordan, host to another 630,000, followed suit in August last year, preventing more Syrians from abandoning their country. Sheriff Al-Sid Ali, Amnesty International's head of refugee and migrants' rights, has slammed their inactions as shameful. He said the the records of Gulf countries is absolutely appalling in terms of actually showing compassion and sharing the responsibility of this crisis. It's a disgrace, end quote. Well, nobody talked about the big five. And who are the big five? Kuwait, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates, otherwise known as the UAE. Between these five, they have empty housing for millions of people, my friends. And they're the five wealthiest Muslim countries in the world. And how many Syrian refugees have they taken in? Well, between the five of them, it's a whole number between negative one and positive one. Yeah, a big, fat goose egg. Yeah. Have you heard about Hillary's latest tweet? Oh my goodness, if you've not heard about this. Yep, her latest tweet about sexual abuse. And it's backfired big time. Yep, people have been speculating, my friends, for a while about how Democrat presidential candidate Hillary's Clinton health. But, you know, this tweet, among other things, proves that, well... She may not uh, be physically healthy, but she's certifiable from the neck up. Aaron Klein uh, comes out and says, Bill Clinton rape accuser Juanita Broderick is to break her long media silence after this tweet from Hillary Clinton where Hillary said, and here you go, are you ready? Her tweet, quote, Every survivor of sexual assault deserves to be heard, comma, believed, 
comma, and supported, period. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Something sounds just a bit off. Hmm. Yeah, oh, that's right. Let's look. Clinton's list of ignored accusers. You know, with so much media interest in the accusations against Herman Cain, remember that? One wonders where the truth-seeking press was during the Clinton presidency. After all, Clinton is now the godfather of the Democrat National Party and still one of the most revered leaders and profitable fundraisers. So the list of women that stepped forward and publicly complained about their former president, the ones that Hillary has just now come out and tweeted, and I'll say it again, this is what she said, quote, Every survivor of sexual assault deserves to be heard, comma, believed, comma, and supported, period. So let's take a look at all of those that should be heard, supported, and believed. We got Juanita Broderick, as we've mentioned before, raped. Eileen Wellstone, raped. Elizabeth Warren Grace, raped, but with a quid pro quo of a post-incident intimidation in addition to the rape. Regina Hopper-Blakely, quote, forced himself on her, biting and bruising her, end quote. Kathleen Wiley, sexual assault, intimidation threats. Sandra Allen James, sexual assault. 22-year-old, 1972 Yale student, sexual assault, unnamed. And we have an instant message here. Let's see what we got here. Come on, there we go. Um, doesn't she support Daesh? How do they treat women? Uh, okay. <laughs> I love it. Again, my friends, let's not forget Daesh is the name that actually describes who and what ISIS is. And how does Daesh support women? How they treat women? Well, the exact opposite of what Hillary Clinton says, believes, supported, and, and such. No, they, you know, uh, well, as as. B.O. says, you know, they're like our, our founding fathers, you know, and, and so with that in mind, there's a meme going around of a woman being stoned saying, yes, yes, President, you're right, they are just like the pilgrims, and here they are treating a woman with their Plymouth rocks, stoning her to death, yeah. Uh, anyway, Kathleen Bradshaw, sexual assault. Christy Zirk, unwelcome sexual advance and intimidations. Paula Jones, unwelcome sexual advance, exposure, bordering on sexual assault. Carolyn Moffat, unwelcome sexual advance, exposed, exposure, bordering on sexual assault. 1974 student at University of Arkansas, uh, anonymous, unwelcome physical contact. 1978 to 1980, seven complaints per Arkansas state troopers. Then Monica Lewinsky with a quid pro quo of post-incident character assault. Jennifer Flowers with a quid pro quo of post-incident character assault. Donna Kylie Browning, post-incident character assault. Kath Sally Perdue, post-incident threats. Betty Dalton, rebuffed his advances, married one of his supporters. Denise Richards got an apologetic note scanned to her. So Hillary says they should be believed, supported, and, and such. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Okay, links of interest. Let's see how many we can get through before the break comes up here. Number 13, I told you, I told you, I told you this was coming. What this story doesn't tell you is their first act once they form the majority. Yep, yep, you guessed it. 
Well, you guessed if you know what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is how Michigan Town has now elected its fourth Muslim to a six-person city council. So now can you guess what their first act once they was a majority? Yep, Sharia law. Number 12, the only difference from the latest poll from before is the numbers growing. And what's the latest poll? Pew now says 65% of Americans don't trust the me media. So the only difference is that the number's growing as it should. Number 11, uh, TV host Montel Williams says he will take up arms against his government if mosques are shut down. Wow. Any and all respect I used to have for him is gone. Just like that, if that's what he's saying. Number 10, uh, O'Keefe releases an undercover video of Huma Abdin discussing Syrian refugees. You know, you just got to love O'Keefe and his ability to catch these crooks on camera. Number nine, study of 40-some-odd millennials. 40% uh, of millennials oppose offensive free speech. Yep, more evidence of what I've been warning about. Here come the killing fields, my friends. That's what's next if this sort of trend continues. Number eight, um... World leaders accuse Obama of treason. It's funny how everyone outside the U.S. sees B.O. for what he really is, isn't it? Number seven, interesting. That story I shared with you a while ago about the H-1B visas. Well, here's a follow-up. An attorney for displaced Disney workers calling Rubio a liar at appeasing corporate donors. Mm-hmm. Number six, now they... Um, why liberal feminists and college students are in for a rude awakening from the real world? Well, they are if we adults decide to treat them like they're adults. They are in for a rude awakening. Number five, what Thanksgiving with a big government bureaucrat looks like? You know, the cartoon illustrates those of us who are awake and how we feel. Very interesting cartoon and article to go with it. Number four, uh, Kenyan Muslims. It looks like B.O.'s birth country, they're getting fed up with the Islamic terrorists and how they're dealing with them. Number three, uh, if you thought things were bad in that Nevada standoff, well, here's what's going on in Oregon, and nobody seems to care about the distrust of federal agencies and the conviction of Oregon ranchers here in Oregon. Yeah. Mm. Number two, like they said like they would ever understand logic and wisdom. Dear spoiled brat millennials, this could be why you're not going to get hired. Well, after all, logic and wisdom, that's the whole point of the article. And finally, number one, I love how the Federalist Papers do does this. Way too many numbers to share this on air, but here it is for you to print out and beat, I mean, uh, share with your liberal friends. It's another ridiculous meme destroyed... <gasps> with facts yeah yeah it just it just really nails i mean like i said i just love how the federalist papers does that okay my friends um when we come back we'll have our critical thinking segment for you and our roy's school of gorilla lawfare so you really really don't want to go anywhere because there's still a lot more to come. It may be the fastest half hour of the show, and the preceding 90 minutes just flew by in a flash. So you're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. 
the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shuttler. Still, still a pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Okay, it's time for our critical thinking segment, my friends. We start out with a, a, a meme. A meme of a father holding his daughter in his arms. And it says, the real deadbeat is the woman who keeps her child from a loving father. Well, I shared this meme, my friends, on one of the groups that I belong to recently, and a mother came back 
with the following in response to it. She said, I couldn't agree more. Every child needs both parents, if for nothing else, to be able to form their own opinions. My mom allowed me that choice. I allowed my son the same. Even though at the time I was hurting and reeling, I made sure that my son was able to see his father regularly and consistently. She continues writing, saying, It was during that separation from my husband that I came to realize that my pain wasn't necessarily going to become his pain. Mind games suck, she concludes. Guilt trips suck. Be an adult and let the other parent have a relationship with their child. If he or she is worth a damn, everyone wins. If not, let the other parent kill the relationship themselves. If that's the case, yes, there will be pain. But there's pain either way you look at it. Better the kid know that parent than wonder what the parent is like. Great critical thinking there, my friends. Great. Which is why uh, for 25 plus years, my friends, I've been involved with an organization called A Voice for Men, a men's rights organization. And their theme, their motto is and always has been, kids need both parents. And that's what it's all about, is family and taking care of the kids. Okay, it's time for the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W, for Learn and Win Through a Better Education. It's time for a little blast from the past, my friends. Uh, After reviewing everything that I was going to present today, I was kind of pressed on like, you know, what to do for the law school segment. And finally it occurred to me, much of what I've talked about today has been about people who have lost their sight in one way or another to foundational bedrock principles. So in that vein... Let us review what I consider to be the the pinnacle of foundational principles for free men, okay? Number one, the principle of master and slave. That is, the master does not serve his slave. Why do we say this? Well, let's look at this. Quote, The logical deduction from the precedents hitherto established is that until by its own action it surrenders its authority, the state's power is paramount over any of its subordinate arms of government. If state control is to be given up to any subservient municipality, The initiative must come from the legislative department of the state and not from the lawmaking power of the locality. The creature cannot control the creator, end quote. 
That was from a very old Oregon Supreme Court case, which has not been overturned, my friends. Cole versus Seaside, and quoted later, many years later, in Legrand versus Municipal Court. The creature cannot control the creator. And then in a federal case, Seavers versus U.S., they came and said, quote, he was not engaged in duties which, as a servant, he owed his masters, end quote. So like I say, that principle of master and slave, the master does not serve his slave. I have brought this up, my friends, to many municipal courts that try to uh, enforce state law for their own personal profit in their municipal court. And the first thing I do is I ask them the question, where is your permission from the Oregon State Legislature to do what you're doing? And when they don't have it, I say, you're in violation of state law, and I show how they are, and you really wouldn't want me to bring a complaint against you in front of the Oregon State Supreme Court, would you? And you watch just how fast their little traffic tickets that they try and issue for their municipal court disappear, my friends. Number two, the principle of hierarchy. A man cannot serve two masters. After all, the descending order of authority in America, well, it used to be, and, it sh and, and if we still was, well, we wouldn't have, well, there wouldn't be a need for this show, my friends, if this still was the case. So this descending authority in America, if it was still the case, this show wouldn't be on the air, would be God, in other words, the creator, man, the state constitution, the state itself, the federal constitution, the federal government, corporations, and then finally, persons. I hope you noticed where man is in relationship to persons. For example, when a church incorporates itself into a government, the church makes itself subject to that government as it made that government its God instead of the kingdom of God. So next time you go to church, my friends, go and ask them, are you 501c3 organization? If I give you a donation, are you going to offer me a receipt that I can use with the IRS? And if the answer to either of those questions is yes, well, then that's exactly what they've done. They've made government their God instead of the kingdom of God. Number three, the principle of the king's rights. The creator is sovereign. A couple court cases. First one, quote, people of a state are entitled to all rights which formerly belonged to the king by his prerogative, end quote. That's Lansing versus Smith. And this prerogative, well, it amounts to the, quote, rights reserved unto themselves, end quote. You may have heard it stated this way. 
we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Sound familiar? Another court case. The United States government is a foreign corporation with respect to the state. A foreign corporation. Remember that hierarchy, my friends? Let's go back to that, shall we? A foreign corporation, that hierarchy was the creator, man, state constitution, the state, federal constitution, federal government, corporations, then persons. And here we have a federal court and affirmed by the Supreme Court that the United States government is a foreign corporation with respect to the state. The state being, well, state of California, the state of Texas, the state of Maryland, the state of New Hampshire. You get the picture. Yes. The federal government is not the sovereign for ones who are not United States citizens. The government is the sovereign corporations or other artificial persons it creates. And one who is in a position of being the servant cannot question the demands of the master. So choose where you are, my friends. Number four, the principle of value. The real always has a counterfeit. See, for every good thing the Creator has created, man has made a counterfeit. Evolution is a counterfeit of creation. Federal Reserve notes are a counterfeit of money. The income tax is a counterfeit tithe. Government is a counterfeit church, ad infinitum. When you are able to identify the real the counterfeit becomes obvious. The real thing is valuable. The counterfeit is not. It's as simple as that. Number five, the principle of acknowledgement. In other words, state your king's name. The solution is, and has been for many people, to know and state who your master is. <laughs> I've done this, my friends. Come forward and said, quote, my colors and authority is the, well, in this case, the person was from California, so they were saying, California bear flag with the gold star. My law is my family Bible, and my status is shown by the seal of the people. I am who I say I am not who the U.S. attorney says I am, end quote. Well, at that point, the judge called the next case. And this is from the official court transcript. Monday, March 21st, 1994, 1.30 p.m., page 4. Yes, from the United States Dis District Court, Central District of California. Yeah, there we go. Another case in California, 
a judge dismissed the case because the defendant indicated that God was his king and not the state and proved it by submitting a baptismal certificate from a non-501c3 church. This very important, that last part, my friends. Number six, the principle of jurisdiction. See, it's a choice. The law of the land or the law of the sea. The ocean, my friends, not, not the letter C. I can hear some of you out there sniggering. Uh, no, no, the law of the sea, the ocean. See, all law comes either under common law, known as the law of the land, i.e. allodial, or under commercial statutes known as the law of the sea. Yes. Uh-oh, I hit a wrong button and I made myself move. There we go. The law of the sea, which is feudal, otherwise known as equity, maritime, admiralty, administrative, municipal, etc. The jurisdictions between the first one, you know, the law of the land, and the others, which are the, just various names of the same thing, the jurisdictions are mutually exclusive. That's why the Bill of Rights, Article uh, 7, Article 7, keep wanting to read that as 8, but Article 7 does not establish common law, but merely acknowledges that it exists. The American Constitution is the law of the land because the people reserved their common law rights to their own property in Elodium. But you gave it up, didn't you? Government permission is always commercial. For example, ORS 183.310 sub 4 states that any license is a form of registration or permit to engage in a commercial activity. Commerce is the law of the sea, as the sea applies to the surface of the land, and the user owns only the surface rights, but never owns the land. Evidence of ownership is vested in the one who receives the taxes. This may also be applied to other property titles. For example, vehicle ownership is vested in the one who issues a certificate of title. The state is certifying that they own the title, and the person named thereon may use the state's property so long as they obey the statutes that apply to the property. You see how, you see how all these things you've been tricked into using, my friends? Number seven, the principle of mixture. Iron and clay don't mix. Remember that story in Daniel? about the statute with the feet of iron and clay, common law and commercial law don't mix. You are either in common law or you are in commercial law. The hardest part of learning for those of us who have gone before was to learn where the fence was built between common law and commercial law. Common law actions and processes are non-statutory. Commercial actions are statutory. The simple way to keep them straight is to measure violations against the last six commandments. 
Those six commandments are the foundation for all common law in America. And when deciding who your master is, remember the first four. There you go. Number eight. The principle of adjudication. Common law prevails. As we read in an old Oregon Supreme Court case, quote, Common law of England, as it existed at the time of American Revolution, so far as it was general and not local in nature, was adopted as part of the organic law of Oregon when state was admitted into union, end quote. Now, I bring this up specifically as Oregon, my friends, because as I've taught many, many years, Oregon was the last state lawfully admitted into the union of several states as per the requirements of the Constitution. Every state since Oregon was admitted has been done so by executive order. The Constitution does not permit such an activity to occur and therefore every state that's been brought into the supposed union hasn't been brought into the union but is still a commercial entity so Oregon being the last one it's very important to notice that the court takes cognizance of the organic law of Oregon when Oregon was admitted into the union hmm now because of this And because of the relationship between California and Oregon at that time, well, it turns out that it's applicable, the common law is applicable in both California and Oregon. Just see Seavers versus U.S., for example, where it says the code is complementary to the common law, which remains in force except where displaced by the code. Yes. And when we read in the Anderson's UCC notes, where it talks about common law, we read that a statute should be construed to be in harmony with the common law unless there is a clear legislative attempt to abrogate the common law. Hmm. Interesting. And it should be mentioned here that there is no legislative authority in America to abrogate the common law. In fact, all statutory law is nothing more than a complex written representation of the basics of common law and which is usually written in a manner to make the reader think the law applies to him when it usually does not. Why do we say that? Well, from the case of Bellow versus Johnston, uh, from the order of dismissal, we read, quote, It is hereby ordered that this cause of action is hereby dismissed for lack of jurisdiction since the subject matter has been previously been adjudicated and res judicata does apply and bars the action. Yeah, what happened in Bellow versus Johnston? Showed that the common law applied and was superior to the statutory law and there was no jurisdiction 
Boom. Case closed. Number nine, the principle of due process. Invalid process is void. Quote, what is initially void is ever void, and life may not be breathed into it by lapse of time. An instrument that is void ab initio is comparable to a blank piece of paper. That was City of Los Angeles versus Morgan. Process means a paper prepared in a judicial proceeding. Due process simply means that a man is entitled to have notice by judicial papers prepared in proper form and that they must bear the seal of a judicial officer and the seal of a court of competent jurisdiction. Common law courts are judicial in order for their process to be valid, they must conform to due process. Commercial courts are not judicial. It is impossible for them to prepare process in proper form because they have no judicial capacity. If you need more information, see the Constitution of Oregon, Article 7, supplanted. What this means is that any process from the courts in Oregon, for example, are nothing more than invoices or requests. They do not meet the requirements of due process, and they are void ab initio, and they may be dealt with by common law and administrative proceedings. My friends, I've proven this case myself many times. You want more proof of it? If you want to, look up uh, United States... Um, uh, oh dang, uh, mining department. The people, Bureau of Lands. Yeah, it's Bureau of Lands versus Seifert Mines, my friends. You'll see how I used that exact same thing in that case to have that case from the United States Bureau of Land Management dismissed against Seifert Mines. It's still on the internet, my friends. At least it was a couple of weeks ago. Number 10, the principle of use. It is the use that determines the status. See, under UCC section 9-109, there's a real distinction between the goods purchased for personal use and those purchased for business use. The two are mutually exclusive, and the principal use to which the property is put is considered to be as determinative. This is what the Supreme Court has said, my friends. And in determining whether or not a motorboat, for example, just to give you an idea of how this works, in determining whether or not a motorboat was included in the expression of household effects, in the matter of Wilburn's will, stated the test was to quote, whether the articles are or are not used in or by the household or for the benefit or comfort of the family. It is the use to which a thing is put that is the determining factor. That's what the court said. So applying the test, the court said, applying that test, we find the undisputed facts to be that the yacht was used for entertainment and enjoyment of the testator, his wife, friends, and household, and was never used for commercial or business purposes. The motor vehicles were also used for pleasure and convenience of the testator, his wife, and other members of his family and friends, and his household. There we go. And that is why it was all dismissed as not being 
taxable, my friends. Number 11, the principle of intent. It is the intent that establishes the law. This principle is so extensive that no sites are included. Your intent determines your standing. As expressed in the Bible, man looks on outward appearance, God looks on the heart. This, my friends, is why so many state legislatures and the federal government are deliberately writing new statutes and removing the concept of intent from older ones. Writing the new ones do not include intent. Why? That's why. Right there. Number 12. The principle of words. Words mean what they say. Words are private, that is, they're common law, or they're commercial, public, like guest versus passenger, automobile versus motor vehicle, law versus statute, tithe versus income tax, worker versus employee, right versus license. You know, what's the word and how are you using it? Yeah, the government as a commercial entity, does not deal in common law matters. They have no jurisdiction in the common law. Therefore, the government uses and teaches only commercial words because their jurisdiction lies only in commerce. And public schools, well, they're government schools. Accredited church schools, they're government schools. Government schools teach commercial words, not common law words. So learning common law words is like learning a new language because the words have fallen into disuse and common usage has induced many Americans to believe words mean something different than what they actually mean in law. For example, the words drive and person are prominent examples. Both are commercial with travel and man being common law. Well, my friends, I don't have time to go on any further. But you get the idea of where we're going here. We've lost the language, and this is an example of how we have. That wraps up this edition of the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Until next week, my friends, unless the creek rises or they come and take me away again, my fellow Americans, keep your powder dry. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. 
sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> 